following episode was made under difficult technical conditions. Consequently, the sound is not as good as we would like. We apologise and hope to return to normal standards for episode 6. Warning, the following show contains strong ideas and language to match. If you are offended by over-intellectualised discussion of grandiose concepts or rude words, turn off now. Jesus fucking Christ, (laughs) shut up you guys! (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. This is the Sprue Cutters Union. We are about to embark on our first group conversation. Uh, Normally, at this point, we would just be chatting away with each other, and we're going to do a little bit of that, too. But uh, in a little bit, we're going to be joined by the guys from the Small Subjects podcast, and we're going to see if we can entice them to talk a little bit about contests and judging, um, as that's going to tie in with our interview with... uh, SMC head honcho Robert Crombecka. With uh, myself, I've got Will Patterson. Will, how you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, just soldiering along, getting by, doing my doing my thing. You know, serving hard time in Facebook jail still. Ha! You're a criminal. <laughs> and we got Chris Mettings from the UK. Chris, what have you been up to? Oh, what haven't I been up to? Stirring up shit on Facebook like you. All right, great. Good times, yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's our, it's our favorite pastime. I don't know. I've been pretty good. You're always good. Though. How's your Japanese tank going? Japanese tank's going good. I'm, uh, I'm, I guess I would consider it round two of the oil paint weathering. Uh, and I'm getting to a point where I think I am ready to take some photos and then assemble the running gear and deal with the kit tracks, the link and length tracks. And if I like those, then it's going to be paint and weathering on those. If not, I'm going to have to source some uh, rules. But I, I'd say it's uh, three quarters of the way finished. Sorry, I, I got to stop you there. So, how do we say this? Rules? I know uh, some people say frials. It's it's a really weird spelling, isn't it? It's like F R I U L. No, so it's F R U I L. Is it? I don't Hang know. Hang on, I got to set right here. Let me look. If it's fruit, it's, it's frule. Well, F-R-I-U-L, you're right. So I'm, I'm, I must be mispronouncing it. Well, I might say friel, but I know, uh, sorry, apologies to Scott at, at PPP. I think he says friel, and I can't see it as friel. I do. I see it as friel. F-R-I-U-L. Yeah, because you're weird. Friel. An I, in our language, is an I sound, not an E sound. That's not going to be true because because we have Barry Biediger coming up in our group chat, right? And he's got an I in his last name. By Biediger, no, that's, B. that's no. It's definitely E E E Biediger. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is great. Radio. This is why English is such a hard language, right? Because we do we have so many confusing sounds that, right? You're... I think we need to talk about something else before we lose any listeners. This is not how to pronounce shit. Good plan. <laughs> All, right, so All right, so you got you got some metal tracks. We'll get, we're we're going to get email telling us how to pronounce it because there's always that guy, right? Yeah. As long as that guy <laughs> is right, I don't mind being corrected. I'd rather say it correctly, but between the three of us, we don't have a fucking clue. So, yeah. Hands up, who cares? Back to what you're doing, Hancock. 
hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me just 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 ask also. I my experience of that particular manufacturer of tracks and a lot of comments I've seen online is that the quality's kind of declined of late. What's that set like, Tracy? I don't have that set. Well, okay. Uh, let, uh, let me go back. Let me go back. It would be the same set uh, for this tank as it is for the Chiha, and I've definitely used Friol tracks on my Chiha, uh, and I thought they were quite good. Um, but on my Kami, I used uh, Spade Ace metal tracks, which were also nice, and I think. Hang on, hang on, hang on. If it's Fryle, surely that should be Carmi. <laughs> I, I wish you could see my face right now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm interrupting all the time. We need to turn video back on for this. <clears throat> At any rate, um, I, I don't actually have the metal tracks for this tank. If I don't like the uh, fine molds, link and length, I will order them. Um, it won't take long to assemble. I, I find them... A lot of people complain about it, but um, it's one of those things I can put on a movie and and assemble track links in no time at all. It doesn't bother me. Uh, they're also... E- metal tracks are easier to weather for me. Yeah, sure. But these tracks that are provided in the kit, they look nice. They have nice detail. Um, they don't look like a pain in the ass to assemble, so I'm going to give it a shot. Um, and if they look the part, then um, that's one less thing to to wait on in the mail. And then sure, I yeah, need sure, to yeah. uh, keep dicking around with the figures and start on a base. But I, I'm I'm confident this thing is is past the halfway point of completion. Uh, speaking of past the halfway point of completion, your Renault is looking very nice. Yeah, that is super cool. Ah, it's really weird. It's one of those... Do you ever get it in a big project? You get so far in and you just... It's like... You're halfway around... Oh, I wouldn't know because I've never actually run, let alone run a marathon. But it's like you've, like... Swimming a long way or something. And you get halfway and you think, Oh, fuck, suddenly I've just totally run out of energy for it. And I just, you know, I really don't want to be doing this anymore. Or something like that. And I got to that point. But because it's for a book, I made myself carry on. And within like two or three days, I was absolutely loving it. I can't put the thing down now. Yeah. I think I think we all run into that that hump at some point. Yeah, I think all projects, even short term projects, run into that hump, don't they? Especially if you're one of those guys who's not that keen on weathering, or he doesn't like doing road wheels or something like that. I mean, I like all aspects of modelling, but a lot of people get to that point where it's the bit they don't like, and that's make or break for where the kit gets finished. Also, though, I actually went to a model show. Now, (laughs) as we know, uh, I'm not the world's biggest fan of IPMS, but I am actually an IPMS member, sort of. I think I let it lapse this year, but uh, I have certainly been for a long time. And my local club, Avon IPMS, is really good. So I went along to the show um, to trade, uh, sell some books and and whatnot. It's never a big show. You get uh, a couple hundred people turn up, a few clubs and what have you. And it's shared with a wargaming show, which helps, actually. A lot of clubs would do a lot worse than to do the same thing, because wargaming brings in a whole different and actually much younger demographic. Uh, and actually, I think it's pretty healthy for um, uh, for modelling shows, you know, where they talk about, oh, the hobby's dying. Get some wargamers along, and that'll already, you know, perk things up a bit. Uh, and I was I saw uh, some great guys there. I saw Alan Blythe, Pete Ville, Andy Hills, Derek Costin. 
Austin. Uh, Spud, John Murphy, don't know if you know yeah, him. Uh, uh, Mark Inman, long-time listener. Hello, Mark. And Neil Howard. And uh, yeah, it was great to catch up with some people. And it was, well, it was weird, actually, to be at an event again. Is everybody still having to wear masks over there? They were advising it, but people weren't. Yeah. Really, not many. I mean, I wish they were, but they. when I was, uh, whenever I sat down behind the stand, if things were quiet, I took mine off. But whenever I stood up to talk to people, I always put my back on. Or if I, you know, I had a comfort break or went to look around the other stands or whatever, I always put my mask back on. And I wish other people would. But... Wait, 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 wait. What? A, a comfort break? Yeah, sorry, I forgot where we were. Whenever I went to take a piss and drain the python, I wore a mask, not over the python. And, um, yeah, so I wish... There was hand sanitizer around and things like that. But it was it was really weird to be back at a model show again. Although, let's face it, IPMS shows, it, it, it's a certain demographic, you know what I mean? It, it's males over 50, mainly, and they've probably all been vaccinated, so, you know. I'm sure everybody was just really chomping at the bit to to be back at a show. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I mean, I've talked to people that I don't interact with necessarily on the internet very much, but I knew before. And of course, you know, I haven't seen these guys since March last year. And it was really good just to catch up and have a chat. Even when you talk to them online, it's great to talk to people face to face. And, you know, it's different. Yeah, it is. It is. I should mention I saw Rob Lane there as well from Elan 13, and uh, he was doing great. Um, do you think attendance was up at that show because it was the first show? No, it was, no, it, was it was down. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was down on on twenty nineteen. Yeah, but I suppose some people are still worried about the virus and stuff. But uh, although it was down, it was still very healthy. So yeah, I, I kind of wondered um, whether what the percentage of people who were just really enthusiastic and this was their their one out where they're like, okay. Uh, Going to the grocery store doesn't count as, as social activity, but <laughs> I'm going to this because I really, really want to go to this versus how many people were still just being very cautious. So it's, it sounds hard, hard to say. There were still quite a few people who err on the side of caution. I think the clubs were the same. People that would come from clubs because they display when they come uh, was probably about the same. It probably the casual attenders who aren't members of a club who might go along just to have a look who didn't turn up. Well, Will, what have you been up to? You started a new kit? You threw that other one away? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, a, uh, did you see the new Great Wall Hobby uh, 32nd P40? Well, I knew it was coming out, and I haven't, uh, you know, I, the, honestly, the the P40B, yeah, it's, it's just too goofy looking for me. I'm not interested, but... Uh, I am interested because Great Wall Hobby does ama- – I mean, they've done some amazing stuff. And and I'm hoping that they will, you know, move through the B model and get into the D and later model Warhawks, which for me is when they start getting interesting. And who knows? I might build one someday because I love the Warhawk. And there is no shortage of really filthy, disgusting, roached-out examples that you – you know, for the weathering enthusiast – so, you know, we'll see. I got some sprue shots uh, that's been posted, and that looks pretty amazing. So, yeah. How those wheels look? <laughs> <laughs> they look exactly like they did the last time we talked because um, basically – Wheelie good. Yeah, wheelie good. Ah. Right, right. <laughs> 
so sorry. Yeah. You're not sorry. You're not sorry at all. <laughs> He's yeah, not. Yeah, I'm not. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, they, uh, you know, those wheels are just never going to look great. I, that, that's the one part of this project I am just, yeah, just blah. Well, they just, about, uh, can you steal them from the Great Wall kit? <laughs> yeah, maybe like next year. I don't know, but no, I'm gonna. I'm about to get done with this thing. I I ever since the I finished the seven part oil paint rendering series that I did on YouTube uh, about uh, two weeks ago, and uh, since then I just haven't touched the 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 model. And it's literally within like a half day's work of being done. You know, Chris was talking about that one bit that you, that you just pro- procrastinate over. Uh, so like the outside canopy frame or uh, slide, yeah, the sliding canopy frame has, has not been painted yet. But, you know, the exhausts and the wheels and the landing gear, they're all, I mean, I could just walk in there right now and, and stick them in there. But... I am doing a display stand for it, and I wanted to finish that at the same time. So I've kind of turned my attention to that thing because it's, uh, yeah, it's a scratch printing exercise. Um, I designed a, a gizmo, a ridiculous engineer run amok kind of thing, and uh, it's pretty big. Like it's nine inches tall. Because I want it to look like a an actual, you know, fictitious but authentic chunk of aircraft hardware. And it's a little too big to print in one piece. And the guy that, that, that printed it for me did a ma- – he, he had to cut it into four chunks. <laughs> so, you know, Chris is scratch building a thousand pieces. I'm over here scratch building four pieces and feeling like a total wimp because – yeah, I literally went and bought a can of Bondo <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> yeah, you you know, it's you think, oh, it's 3D printing and you're going to cut the thing apart in these perfect, you know, along these perfect planes and it's going to just go right back together. Uh, no, it does not work that way. I don't think people appreciate um that just because you print something that doesn't make it instantly ready to use well what happens with with these with these printers is i mean there's physics involved uh, you know they it, it's it's not just you know we're curing the the resin layer by layer that's just that's like the easy part uh the physics of the liquid the the physics of of the you know each layer separation as the build plate goes up and then you get the weight of the material itself. There's all kinds of shit going on in there. And as you guys know, something doesn't have to be very crooked for it to really be a giant pain in the ass when you go to put it together. And that's the case when you cut something apart like this. Um, it, because orientation, you know, all those things will affect the outcome. So yeah, this is this this thing is turning out pretty cool, but it is a Bondo Queen for sure. Pondo Queen. <laughs> That's a great. <laughs> it would be right. It would be. So, so yeah. um, are, are you are you able to tell us what the airplane chunk is, or is that a you know is that is that going to be unveiled with the finished model? Well, I actually showed it uh, on in SMCG months back, and uh, you know I was like, yeah, look at you know here we go. It, basically, so so th- this kind of fits in with the show thing because there was a moment where I thought I might make the effort to go to Vegas, and I and I thought, well, if I'm going to take something, well, I'll take this, I'll take this P40, 
but as I've said before, all the most interesting shit happens on the bottom of an aircraft when it comes to weathering. Okay, maybe not all, but a lot, right? But you, you don't ever get to see it. And I'm going to stab somebody who tries to pick mine up and look at the bottom of it, right? I'm not interested in that. And I don't want to put it on a mirror. And so I thought, well, maybe I – what if I made this like rotisserie thing? And this is where the engineer running amok comes into play. That's a sick of the rotisserie chicken. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> then there's the fact that in Fusion 360, they make it super easy – to add McMaster car components. So like for anybody who doesn't know, McMaster car is the industrial supply Bible in the United States. Like if you walk into a machine shop, you'll see a book, a yellow catalog that's literally like six inches thick. That's McMaster car. And you can get every kind of nut and bolt and gear and shaft. Anything that's ever been invented that you might need in a machine shop is in that catalog. And Fusion 360 lets you open the McMaster car search dialog inside the app and select your component and zap the 3D model of it into your assembly. <laughs> and it's, it's fucking addictive, let me tell you. So anyway, I have this sort of like crank. It's got a crank handle on it and it's got some gears. And you turn the crank and the airplane rolls over on its belly. And it is like the most ridiculous thing ever, but it's turned into a kind of a fun thing. So anyway, that's, that's the deal. And I'm going to, when I get, when I get to that point, I'm going to paint and weather this, the display stand as if it's, you know, a chunk that came out of a, of a World War II aircraft. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. It's stupid. Nice. It's not stupid. It's ambitious. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it was it was a te- it was a challenge because you know printing something that large, people just don't realize. You know, I mean, the most of the parts that we want to do as scale modelers are dinky. You know, you can fit them inside the tip of your of your thumb. Uh, so doing something that 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 is nine inches tall and has a you know five by seven inch base that's big, even for these machines like the Saturn. Um, it's just not as straightforward. It's not, it, the, the scaling up process is just not linear. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's me. I've been, uh, doing a lot of sanding. Always good for basic modeling skills. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, oh, we need to have a conversation about that. Another yeah, day. that's a whole, that's, that's like an entire podcast right there. Yeah, totally. A couple of shout outs I'd, I'd just like to do quickly, if that's okay. Because we're talking about uh, P40s, um, I was looking at Nick Mayhew's uh, P40 today on the Scar Model. Looks TV, great. Where he's been yeah, working looks on the other really side. That, good. that was tight. That was really yeah, nice. Yeah, it does. It looks good. And he, and he's you know he's he's doing it. It's a little challenging because that's a it's a North African and it's uh, so it's either an F or an L, I believe. So it's the Merlin engine. And yeah, yeah. a little less gross, you know, because it's not getting muddy for one thing. I don't know. Well, yeah, but allegedly early Merlins pissed oil. Oh, they did. They were basically hand built one at a time. They were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that's. It amazing. wasn't until Packard stopped building them that the tolerance. Okay, here right. come here comes the hate mail. Uh, Sprue Cutters Union at at uh, wehateyou dot com. Right. I should say I'm getting this opinion from. Um, uh, we have ways podcast. Our friend Al Murray uh, presents with James Holland, and they had a guy on 
I forget his name, I feel really bad, I'll put it in the show notes. He wrote a book called The Secret Horsepower Race about piston engines. Ooh, I think I want to read that. And it, and it, it is, yeah, it, that book is juicy. It is um, borderline engineering level. It's not just a story, it's engineering drawings, uh, technical analysis, all sorts of the different engines and his contention that, you know, of, of how it drove the early war and how it uh, affected the end of the war in terms of piston engine development and a radial engine development. And it, yeah, it, it's a thick and juicy book. Well, it's a, it's a hundred percent a thing because, because, you know, Rolls Royce great. Merlin was great, but it was, it was hand built and hand fitted. And and Packard brought the American system of tolerance analysis. Uh, well, they brought mass production. Yeah, well, that's part of the mass production thing. You cannot. Well, that's what I'm saying. You can't mass produce without nailing all that shit down. And then once you get that, the uh, commensurate increase in performance was, was incredible. Well, it's they didn't change the fundamental design of the thing. They just made it more reliable, and so what yeah. But you squeezed more out of that engine by making it more reliable and by making it better engineered. Exactly, you can run them harder. You don't have to work on them as much. I mean, it it, it changes everything. So yeah, hundred yeah. percent, it's a thing. But there are guys who are you know going to be enraged that we've suggested that the Merlin became better. Once American manufacturing got involved, but you know what? Tough shit. That's the, the way the, it was. The British ones, they kind of figured out mass production, but they couldn't produce at the volume. So the, the British ones were, that were mass produced were as good as the American ones. It's just that, you know, the manufacturing capacity and facilities weren't there at the time. So it wasn't because Americans did it, but it was because Americans are masters of mass production and they mass produced it. Well, and to be fair, you know, at the Packard factory, they didn't have to worry about, you know, V1s and V2s crashing through the roof or whatever. So, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's a different, it was a different environment, but definitely a thing for sure. Uh, oh, there was one other one as well. Sorry, another shout out. My my good friend, uh, Nahisa Nagata sent, uh, from um, Seals Foresight Model sent me a lovely gift in the post and I've got to recommend this. The new model art uh, Japanese Air Self-Defense Force photo book of the F-4. It is absolutely brilliant. Really, go out there and buy it. It's a fantastic book. These books aren't around for long, but if you're going to make a Japanese Phantom, that's the book to get. Very cool. Very yeah, very cool. nice. Um, I've got a shout-out myself. I had a, uh, a friend of mine here ask me if I <clears throat> knew a guy named Steve Munsell. And I oh, yeah. You know him? Yeah, I know, yeah, I know him. Yeah. Well, sort of through Facebook, you know. Right. So uh, I, I didn't recognize the name, and my buddy said, "Yeah, he's he's a modeler like you. He's got a company." And I asked the name of the company, and he said, "Oh, it's Value Gear." And I was like, "Oh shit, I know that name." Yeah. Um, so we ended up connecting on Facebook, and we've got a lot of. Uh, uh, we grew up in the same kind of music scene, um, and have quite a lot of mutual friends, both modelers and. Um, sort of from the music scene, super nice guy. We chatted about music and modeling for a couple hours online, and he's only gone and sent me uh, pretty much everything he makes. Yeah, he's got a reputation for being a really generous guy as well, really good guy. It's really insane. I, I've got to say thank you on the podcast to, to Steve, and he just sent me, I'm just looking at a like a small shoebox full of, of resin uh, aftermarket stowage and netting and it's all such nice stuff and it's uh you know it's more than i could ask for and i i he's just very generous and the quality of his product is is quite good so um if that's something you're looking for i really recommend 
um, shooting this guy some business. He's a, he's a solid guy, and he makes a really nice product, and he was incredibly generous with me, and I'm very uh, thankful for that. What what kind of stuff is it? It's like stowage. It's uh, it's tarps and uh, backpacks and uh, crates. Uh, there's some in, a lot of individual stuff, but there's also um, sort of some piled up stuff uh, that's all cast as one piece. Be really nice on the back of your Sherman, your Firefly. Um, it's really sharp, really well detailed. His stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm already eyeballing the uh, the camouflage netting for the scimitar that I think I'm building next. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Actually, I'd like to do a round table one time with small producers just to, you know, because I am one and it's close to my heart to talk about um, the challenges of running a small hobby business and what's involved. Because a lot of people want to start one and they don't really know before they do. Well, I certainly didn't have a clue what it's actually like. Maybe Steve, someone we could get on. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, I do have, I, I sort of have a shout out and this leads into our, our thing. Uh, I've been listening to the uh, Small Subjects podcast. It's great. And Barry and uh, and Jim are doing a great job. And that's my shout out. They're awesome. And they're here with us. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've actually listened to the first two. I have been remiss and I have not done my homework. I have not listened to the third one yet, but I've really enjoyed uh their presentation, uh, their second uh, episode was an interview with John Rosengrant that I just, man, I love that thing. We talked about it, and I don't think, you know, there's no reason to have John on the podcast because they did such a good job with that interview. Yeah, they really did. I, di- I didn't know who John was. I mean, I know I'm the heathen in the room. You guys educated me pretty quickly on who he was, uh, and I, I thought it was great. And what a fantastic you know, career that guy has had. Tracy might have um, first come across him the same way I did on Missing Links when he did. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he does a lot of one sixteenth figures. Yeah, and it got introduced to his work there, and it's really amazing. It's amazing that he's um, a great scale modeler, but that also he's involved in so much other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything. I think everybody should go and listen to the podcast because I I can almost guarantee you that unless. You've been following his career really closely. There's some surprises in there about what he does yeah. outside of modeling that are really, really cool. People should really go over there and listen to that. Yeah, but I think it's fair to throw a little bit of a of a of of a teaser in there. He, I mean, if anybody's watched The Mandalorian, right? I mean, he's responsible for some of the modeling that that they used for that thing. You know, that's, that's kind of where, I mean, and, and then his career led him to that point. So, yeah. He is Baby Yoda, right? He, he like, controls Baby Yoda. And they built Baby Yoda. I mean, they yeah probably built him from uh, what it sounded like were some concept drawings, but they are, his company is ostensibly responsible for the look and I think the legend that Baby Yoda has become. Okay, we're going to take a little break there and we'll be right back with our segment with Jim and Barry from Small Subjects. Model makers, if you're like me, you're constantly looking for supplies and kits, right? My go-to source for all the essentials is the title sponsor of the Sprue Cutters Union podcast, Hobby World USA. Hobby World USA carries kits, tools, books, and paint brands from Abtilong 502 to Zero, 
<laughs> see what I did there with the whole A to Z thing? Hobby World is also one of only two suppliers in the United States to carry my personal favorite paint, MRP. And if you're looking for something that's not in their inventory, there's a good chance the owner, Matt Bowl, can find it for you. Matt is one of us. He's a model maker and he participates in the community on a regular basis and is always willing to answer questions. I should also note that while he's a great source for those of us in the United States and Canada, he will also ship worldwide. So, get on over to HobbyWorldUSA.com. That's HobbyWorld-USA.com and check them out for all your model making needs. All right, folks, we've got uh, Barry Bediger and Jim Diorgatis. Thank you. Uh, Small Subjects Podcast. I'm going to let these guys tell you a little bit about themselves, what they're into, and uh, then we're going to start talking about uh, maybe some figure work, because that's something we're all, at least on the fringes, interested in. And definitely, um, I think a lot of scale modelers are going to sponge some of this stuff up, because... Unless it's what you do full-time for your modeling, um, there's some mysteries to it. So tips, tricks, mistakes you've made along the way, anything interesting you have to say about it, I think we'd all be interested in. <laughs> so I'm sure. sure. Turn the mic over to you guys. I want to, I want to make Barry go first. No, I'm I think always, you, should, you, you should. I'm, I'm forever drawing Bar- Barry out of his shell. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I've been modeling for over 40 years. So, yeah, whatever, right? Uh, I started building models when I was probably around six or seven. I don't really remember. Um, I've always been fascinated by armor models, uh, by arm, by tanks. Um, I tried to build an M3 in my backyard and decided that wasn't really going to work. But, uh, <laughs> full scale? You were, you were, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. ATF didn't show up? No, no. I actually asked my mom if, if I built a tank in the backyard, if I could live in it. But it just, it never really progressed. <laughs> you, um, know, you know, you got, uh, my worlds intersect, of course, uh, music criticism and modeling. Do you know that the Aphex twin, Richard D. James, one of the stellar lights of 90s uh, I know techno, electronic music. Oh, my God. He actually, with his first big royalty check, bought a World War I uh, British tank. Wow. And uh, would drive it around his little village of of Cornwallis uh, in the UK. See, so you 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 could have, you weren't you know if you had that kind of money you could have bought a tank. I I I didn't have that money that kind of money when I was six or seven, but you know. No, probably not. But it would be cool <laughs> to own a tank. Yeah. The record labels it, just weren't calling. Yeah, if as you as you if you've listened to any of our our podcasts, you'll you'll hear. Um, us mention Shepard Payne a lot, and we've been criticized for that even. But uh, as soon as I got one of those monogram kits and, and found those how to build diorama guides, it was just <clears throat> it was the end. I, I I just it was figures from then on. That was the main interest. I've always still built tanks and some airplanes, but but my main interest has been figures. Uh, it's uh, just endlessly fascinating for me. Um, and then about. Let's see, about 10 years ago, I guess, I started building uh, box dioramas. So that was my main thing up until just recently. Got a little bit burned out, but I'm getting back to them now, and I'm also uh, getting back into the, the painting figures and trying to 
work with some of the new uh, techniques. I just got uh, Kirill Kanaev's book, and uh, wow, that's I've, I've got yeah. some work to do. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a fifty pound book right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> oh, so I gotta, I gotta, pounds, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I gotta, I gotta ask uh, this question will be for for Jim as well. Where can our listeners go to see your work? Well, we have a site called boxdioramas.com, and uh, it's actually a, a compilation of pretty much every box diorama artist we can find. So if 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 some if anybody knows of box dioramas out there that we that's not on the site, let us know because we want to compile everything. Yeah, we have artist galleries of uh, uh, of every artist that uh, has ever done a box diorama, and there's every skill level. Um, you know, this is one of those things, uh, uh, the downside of uh, having had uh, Shep Payne as a friend and mentor is on occasion you would get this. You know, somebody really needs to start a website, you know, with all the box dioramas. That, that's you and, and Barry, Jim. <laughs> and, then, and then the next thing, you know, thousand hours of work. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a labor of love. Barry, Barry despairs sometimes that it's not... Uh, uh, of use to people, and then we'll get this amazing email from a modeler, you know, in his 70s in Australia, or a kid starting out at 20 in New Zealand or or uh, North Dakota, you know, and it's like, I, I found your site, I thought I was the only one that did this, and there's all these links, and, and inspiration, oh my god, I'll never be as good as some of the work, you know, and it's like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a labor of love, and I think what we took from Shep, besides a million uh, pieces of advice about how we were doing everything wrong, um, was uh, was this idea of giving back and celebrating the hobby uh, as an art form and um, sharing techniques and, and building a community, which is why when Barry said, very Shep-like, I think we need to do a podcast, I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so, so now that I've, I've brought up Shep, uh, I noticed that there's a little bit of a um, kind of a, uh, a reaction against some of that stuff. And it's understandable because I have seen people uh, basically act like, well, whatever Shep Payne did, that's where the hobby ended. I have seen people act like that. And I think they'd be surprised that the last person to agree with them would be Shep Payne because he was yeah. all about things moving forward. And I guarantee you if he was on Facebook – if he was still alive and on Facebook, he'd be a part of SMCG, Scale Modelers Critique Group, because that's kind of that was kind of his thing. I mean, he he wanted to improve people. And he wanted things to move forward. And that's, he would be, you know, uh, I mean, he stopped modeling. He never quite admitted it. That frankly, I did a book called Shepherd Payne: The Life and Work of a Master Modeler and Military Historian, which is really a coffee table art book. It's expensive, uh, but the printing is beautiful, and it's every piece he ever did. All the monogram dioramas and every hysterex figure, and of course the boxes, which he considered the pinnacle of the form. And we can talk about that. I mean, you know how you how you can control every aspect of the viewer coming at a box diorama because you have the added element of light and and viewing perspective. Um, but you know he was all about storytelling, and he was all about uh, uh, doing something more than building a beautiful model that sat on a shelf. As much as he admired uh, modelers and encouraged them to to pursue their passion, whatever you know uh, they they enjoyed doing, the idea of telling a story with these models. Um, so yeah, you know he he stopped modeling because his his skills. Uh, 
you know, his eyesight was failing and his hands were, were failing. Um, and, uh, you know, a good 10 or 15 years before he died. Um, but, you know, he was forever saying, if there was something I could just plug a USB into the side of my neck and spit out the idea, I still have a million ideas. And Barry and I have been talking of late. It's like, my God, what Shep would have done with 3D printing. Wow. Because yeah. he was always about the new technique. He was always about, and, and he was always about, Anybody can do this, and, and here are ways to do it as simply and easily as possible. Um, you know, it's fine if you want to spend four times the cost of a model on aftermarket parts. Good, good. I'll tell you how to work with Photo Etch. I'll tell you how to work with resin. On the other hand, you know, the, these little bits of white plastic uh, are, are good, too, if you can't afford <laughs> You know, and I mean, famously, as a painter, he said you need six tubes of paint, uh, four tubes of paint, right? Right, Barry? I mean, uh, you know, and and mix your own colors. I mean, he he was cheap. He was cheap. Uh, And and he wanted to to open the hobby to modelers of limited means um, and and to spread the joy. He was always about bringing people together. You had had, uh, Crombeek on talking about World Expo. And Shep was one of the founders of of the World Expo. And, uh, you know, he loved nothing more. You know, he says to me a couple of years ago, well, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago now, you know, there's this guy you got to meet, quiet guy from Salt Lake City. Right, you both both like music, <laughs> both both like you know, and uh, and Barry and I became best friends, and and you know we're able to travel with Shep to the World Expo in Montreux and to to Paris and stuff like that, and uh, uh, you know I think that's the great underappreciated aspect of the hobby is bringing like-minded people together, savages together in one place. Uh, that's very cool, and it's funny that you say savages because that's what we—that's kind of our slang and scale modelers critique group. Yeah, yeah Will, I, I am familiar with the group oh, <laughs> and the podcast. I didn't, oh, I didn't well, know I that lurk. Was an obvious I, note. I, 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 I just, know, I, but that, I, but that makes me. I lurk. I mean, and, and on occasion, I lurk, uh, but on occasion, it drives me crazy because I'm really like. What the fuck are they talking about? MRL or whatever, you know. Spell, <laughs> spell it out once in a while. You know, 73,000 posts about the joy of lacquer. Oh, lacquer is the L. Okay, I got it. You, you got to, no, you just got to spend more time there, Jim. You got to, you got to understand. Well, I have day job. You, you have an interesting day job, and I have, dare I say, even a slightly more interesting day job. Yeah. Barry is a digital cartographer. We're going to come back to Jim's day job, but before we get too far away from Barry's work, I want to stop everybody who's listening right now and 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 go immediately to uh, boxdioramas.com like I just did because I confess, I, I didn't know. I had not seen it, and it's super cool and well-organized, and I was immediately able to go and find Barry's work, and it was five mm. seconds before the holy shit came out. Oh, uh, dude. Dude, you've been you you've been holding out on me, man. You've been in my Patreon group on Saturdays for what like two months now, and you're super quiet. And I and I honestly had not seen your work, and I had no idea, dude. But but let me just say this, Chris, this is gonna fuck up your assertion that this cannot be art if you go there and look. Yeah, but you know, I, in fact, I, I kind of wanted to talk about that earlier. I've kind of changed my mind on that. I, well, no, I never said modelling wasn't art. I said it could be art, but that modelling or modelling is not an art, if you see what I mean. Right. Modelling itself. Yeah, that's but true. But art can be made from models. 
Absolutely. Well, Barry, and I'm going to look around some more, but dude, looking at, at, at the, at the composition, the lighting, because I, you know, I never really thought much about box dioramas, but I'm looking at this now and I'm like, damn, I see why someone would say this is sort of the pinnacle of the, of the form. And it's, it's impressive. So yeah, listeners go look now, do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Barry is, is unduly modest. He is a Chicago medalist uh, of the Military Miniature Society of Illinois, which is uh, everybody who is anybody in the uh, uh, figure modeling world has won the Chicago medal, and he, his well, work we do, is we consistently wanna, gold medal. We don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, you don't want to talk yes, about that. I am, yes, I am proud to blow your horn. I gave well, uh, Will uh, an introduction well, an introduction, how can I put it? Will and I were having a discussion some time ago about national traits, and I had to explain to him the English don't like to pick themselves up. They like to... They pick themselves up by playing themselves down. Barry, you're the most yeah. English-American I've ever met in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. that, that, does that sound familiar, Jim? I, yes, oh, absolutely. So, Plus, there's this Western, you know, this well, sort of Western modest mentality well well, coming from utah i don't know if you know anything about the western united states but if you look at a map of of the the background of where you know uh, of the ethnic background or the national origin of people in the united states there's a big circle around utah with an english with a british flag it's very heavily english and i'm actually a firm believer that there's something to the genetic memory thing and oh yeah I, i do too so I, I think um, I can't believe how much more people around here are in tune with English humor and British humor. So <laughs> should ask Tracy about that. Yeah, no. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, public television. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I certainly spent a lot of my formative years watching Monty Python and uh, Chef and Faulty Towers and The Young Ones. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the young ones is a classic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Barry, are you finished talking about yourself? Uh, I, I'm more than finished. Yeah. <laughs> That's more than I've ever gotten out of him. We get the guy out of his shell, and you just kank it like that. <laughs> just kick it back in it. Oh, get in there, you fucker. Were you, are you were you slamming whiskey there? First couple of podcasts we record, Barry had to get uh, uh, alcoholically uh, fueled. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, a little I'm just, bit, yeah. uh, I'm just struggling to imagine what Barry is like drunk. I, it's, <laughs> I, uh, I, I get kind of talkative, don't I? Jim? He does. Yeah, yeah. He does. You know, in the in the figure shows, uh, MFCA out out east and MMSI in Chicago, the World Expo, there are these hospitality suites, which Barry coined uh, the phrase "hostility suite." On Friday <laughs> night before the awards and before the judging, it's the hospitality suite. On Saturday night, it's the hostility suite because there's always three or four modelers who swear they deserve that gold, you know, instead of the silver. And uh, and that's when that's when Barry Biedeker comes along. Three and four. <laughs> Three or four gin and tonics, and, yeah, and yeah. he doesn't. Not that he's starting fights; he's just fueling them. I did, you I know? Did, no, no, no. That's oh, oh, fair. yeah, yeah. You know, I could see how you were wrong there by the judge. And <laughs> <laughs> I, 
don't do that. Hey, oh, on. yes, you do. Well, I, have no oh, and then, I, total, I totally believe it because I occasionally see one of Barry's comments <laughs> in SMCG or some other place, and he just very kind of quietly slide the knife into the liver, and I'm like, yeah. okay. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, That's him. It's not me. It's the Bombay Sapphire. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. That's the best. I think spiritually, though, we are on the same page. We consider ourselves punk rock modelers. You know, uh, uh, and that's my day job. I've been a music critic uh, uh, for pretty much my entire professional career and journalist. And, uh, and you know, if you were to say, where does it all start? It starts at the Ramones. Yeah, it really never got better. You know, that's as good as it gets. So there's a million, as you were saying, Chris, there's a million uh, 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 great uh, modelers, a million great bands, and not all of them are art, and some of them are. And by punk rock, we mean, uh, and this is where the the attitude with your group, your your savage group, uh, you know, it's like, let's not take this super seriously. Let's not take ourselves seriously. It's about having fun, mm-hmm. and it's about it's about doing it. Um, and yeah, you can be really complicated and ambitious and pretentious and say art, or you can just fucking build the model. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you can use more than three chords. You can be tales from topographic oceans by yes, but I don't know if it's going to be better than Ramones Leave Home. So. I have no idea what he just said right there, but I liked it. <laughs> well, that's it. So the six people who appreciate it, uh, you know, we... We'll see any person here who was never a punk. I, uh, I, yeah, I'm lost, man. I got two art school guys to my engineering guy. We're both punk I'm rock the, guys, the, too. Right, they're both punk rock guys. I'm like an 80s hair metal dude. They both <laughs> like they both like tanks. I am obviously the barbarian in the room, so here you go. Well. You know now, t- yeah. So now, since you mentioned art, though, again, um, one thing you missed, you kind of skipped over when you talked about what Chris said about art. And I thought the important thing that he said, the most important thing, was it's not a qualitative thing. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be art to be worth your time or to be good. Right. A craftsman does not necessarily have to make art for what he does to be worthwhile. I would hug but you it right can now be if art. I could. Yeah. But it can be art. You know? I mean, there could be a perfectly carved coffee table. The yeah. problem when people start talking about art is they start making that. Uh, and it's funny because I don't know artists that do this. It's people that aren't artists or aren't art students that usually do it. That If it's art, it's highbrow. If it's craft, it's working mm-hmm. class. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Art and craft, uh, parity of esteem, they're just different things. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know the the, the famous uh, Goebbels quote, right? Which one? When I hear the word art, that's when I reach for my revolver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, now that's a line in a Moby song. My favorite Moby song. Not, not a Moby song. It's a cover of Mission of Burma. Mission of Burma. Uh, great oh. post-punk trio from Boston uh, in, the, uh, in the 80s that Moby later covered. Yeah, but the oh. same song. Yeah, same song. Very cool. Yeah, but Mission of Burma is cooler than Moby. All day long. Tell everybody about your your other podcast because this, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty cool and pretty impressive. Well, I, I spent 15 years as the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun Times. I wrote about music, and and Roger Ebert did movies, and uh, 
you know, I've written 10 books about, about music, a biography of Lester Bangs, the rock critic, uh, if you know, almost famous, Philip Seymour Hoffman played him in the film, and uh, biography of the Flaming Lips and books on the Beatles and the Stones and psychedelic rock. And uh, Sound Opinions has been going for 16 years now on public radio, 125 to 150 stations across the country, and on podcast, uh, soundopinions.org, or any of your podcast platforms. And it's, it was Siskel and Ebert. You know, Greg Cott, my co-host, worked at the Chicago Tribune. I worked at the Sun-Times. He worked with Gene Siskel doing film at the Tribune, and uh, Ebert did film at the Sun-Times. And they had, uh, I, you know, in, in the States, and this is, you guys are of the right age, but, you know, for, for 30 years at the movies, or uh, Siskel and Ebert had different titles at different times. Two smart, passionate guys who love the art form talking uh, deeply about about new movies, whether it was Star Wars or My Dinner with Andre. And, you know, in the critical community, uh, you know, there's a thumbs up or thumbs down. But their conversations about the movies were so much deeper than just the thumbs up, thumbs down. Talking intelligently about an art form they loved in a wonderful half-hour entertaining uh, mode on television and showing you, you know, before we could all look up on YouTube the trailer to a new film, uh, showing you scenes from that film, uh, so you could make up your own mind. It seemed obvious to me and my radio partner, Greg Cott, to bring this to radio to review new albums, to to interview artists, to uh, uh, feature uh, discussions about important issues in the music world. So, yeah, you know, and modeling to me, um, you know, I started like Barry did at, at uh, even a, a little older, you know, 12 or 13. I grew up in Jersey City, right across the river from Manhattan. I never made it to any of those legendary one one trip I made to Polk Hobby Shop uh, in Manhattan. But there were there was a great store in Jersey City, Campbell's Model Hobby Shop, and then there was one in Bayonne, Boots and Saddles. And uh, I was always interested in figures, same reason as Barry, seeing those monogram tip sheets, uh, the Brumbar breaking through the building, you know, with the furniture in the back of the building and the the tank command. Um, standing in that so German way atop this this massive vehicle, you know, and what what Shep had done, uh, you know, to tell a story with these bare bones basic monogram kits, um, and so it, it, like in college, uh, immersing myself full time in in the music world and and. Uh, uh, you know, interviewing uh, so many of, of my favorite musicians and plenty who I didn't like, uh, and writing about it, and then having a wife, a first wife, I call her my mistake, um, <laughs> who, you know, I desperately wanted to get back to modeling. And uh, she just resented anything that took time away from what I quote unquote should be doing. I mean, when Kurt Cobain released In Utero with Nirvana, uh, he decided to give. Uh, Three interviews. He was forced to talk to the L.A. Times and the New York Times by the record company, and he said, "I want to talk to Jim Deergatis." And I remember flying to Seattle and spending a couple of days with Kurt and Chris from Nirvana. And my wife was mad at me because I had missed the family reunion in the Wisconsin Dells <laughs> to do this, to, to, to do, to do, like to talk to the most important musician of my generation. Well, um, clearly, you in know, so, you uh, made the right choice. Uh, I made the right choice. Yes, yes. And then you know, the minute. The minute we split up, I got back into modeling. 
And, uh, you know, being a, a newspaper reporter, uh, critic, uh, I said to the features editor, I want to write about this guy who lives on the northwest side of Chicago, Shep Payne. I think he's still alive, you know. <laughs> and uh, I spent a day with Shep. And, again, Shep had this way, you know, of, uh, of uh, you know, I, I was fun. I appreciated that piece in the Sun-Times. Uh, you should write a book. Write a book about me. <laughs> I don't like. Well, I don't have any of the pictures. Well, I have all the pictures. I have pictures of everything I ever did. I, you know, but I want you to do all the work. And I'm like, okay. Um, Shep was always about. He was full of good ideas, and uh, uh, that you should actually execute. So, uh, so I wrote that book, and and uh, you know, became part of the Military Ministry Society of Illinois. Ran the judging. You know, no, you should be my assistant judge. You know, I'm not going to last forever. Okay, Shep. Uh, that means at the show, I spend every waking moment tabulating uh, the judges' entries and chasing them down and organizing and doing all this work. And like the last 10 minutes before the vendors pack up, I go get to spend my money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or similarly in 2017, you know, World Expo needs to come back to America. That's a good idea, Shep. We should do it in Chicago. You should organize that. Oh, oh, okay, <laughs> Shep. <laughs> but we loved him, uh, you know, and I think, um, uh, you know, Barry, Barry's hung up on this idea of people saying it never got any better. Shep would be the first one to say that's bullshit. It certainly did. The level of uh, figure painting in the hobby is Barry and I have coined the phrase superhuman. I mean, in particular, Italian and uh, Spanish painters uh, now have these skills that uh, are... I artists. always remind you of the Asian uh, modelers as well. Asian right? modelers as well. I know. I'm sorry. We don't see ma- as many the of Russians, them at our right. shows. And the Russians, yeah, well, the, yeah. Rus- they, but see, the Russians have this assembly line thing. They nah. got six... Some of them. Some but, of them. Not all but of them. But like uh, Kirill Kanaev and, and some... And I, I can't remember some of the other names, but there are some... Pretty damn good Russian. Yes, there are. And then there were the Russian uh, figure factories. You know, somebody mm-hmm. paints filigree on a banner, and somebody paints the horse, and somebody paints the face. Um, but anyway, I, I mean, this, where the hobby has progressed or the art form has progressed is almost uh, superhuman. Barry's better than me. I got as many silvers as golds, uh, and and we just do it because we love doing it. And. Uh, uh, and and then want to share that. That's why boxdioramas.com. That's why small subjects. Very cool. Where where can people go to find the Shep Payne book? Because I know there are people who want are going to want to hear this and going to want to try and get one. Yeah, no, Schiffer put it out, um, and uh, it's still in print, and it's a beautiful thing, you know. And you're going to gasp when you see the price tag. I just, it's not that bad. I spent a hundred and twenty three dollars on my uh, that that figure painting book. You were just I can't pronounce his name, Barry. Well, I, I believe it's, yeah, Carol. Can Carol. I have, right? Oh, Car- well, Carol. We'll just call him Carol. Um, uh, you know, so the <laughs> Shep book is like 70, 75 or 80 bucks, but it's three or 400 pages full color of everything he ever did. And that's what's amazing. You know, there are people who worship the aircraft models, and there are people who uh, are impressed by the box dioramas or whatever. But when you see the full breadth of, uh, and, and I had a model uh, uh, for the book. Uh, there's a, a brilliant uh, book by Francois Truffaut called Truffaut Hitchcock, where this obviously brilliant 
French New Wave filmmaker Truffaut sat down with his idol, Alfred Hitchcock, and took him through every single movie that Hitchcock made. And how did you do this? And when, you know, the detective is stumbling backwards down the stairs in Psycho, how did you, what was the idea, what were you doing? And so I know a lot about modeling. I am not merely the modeler Shep was, or any of these superhumans. Uh, but I knew the questions to ask, so we talked about every single piece Shep ever did. So it's, you know, text and, and pictures. And it's on the Amazons, it's on the Ebays on occasion. Somebody's selling a copy they had, and you may get it for a couple of bucks less. But uh, Okay, so what's, it, and what's the title again? I'm going to look right now. Shepard Payne, Master Modeler and Military Historian. So, yeah, it's still in print, still doing well. And then when he died, he was working on another armor modeling book. Uh, and it, the idea was he was going to uh, highlight the work of some of the best armor modeler and, and diorama makers today. Uh, uh, folks like uh, Dan Tizanchek and Greg Selar and Andy Golden. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, he had tapped them to each do one project for the book, and then he died, and they had done the projects. And um, then uh, Comback said, well, I think now that Shep is gone, we should take chapters from his original armor modeling book and include those along with these chapters that, uh, you know, John Rosengrant's in there. Um, so they needed an editor and they needed somebody to put it all together. So I, uh, I got my name on that one, too. But it was really the guys who uh, Shep had tapped, which, you know, everything with Shep was partly social. You know, doing this book with these six modelers, there was one in the U.K., Roy Wells, uh, but the, the, the guys who lived locally was an excuse for Shep to get together every week with them and go have lunch on Saturday. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it was as much social as, as uh, you know, sharing the modeling knowledge. But, uh, you know, he thought the armor modeling book uh, that he had originally done was outdated. He did four books in his lifetime, How to Build Dioramas. He got to do two editions of that. And that was current up to, you know, aftermarket parts and and uh, uh, resin and, and, and photo etch. And uh, how to f photograph scale models. And obviously that was all on film. And so uh, that, that, that kind of aged. And armor modeling and then his figure book, which focused primarily on... Uh, oil painting, but uh, the basic philosophical ideas of uh, sculpting and painting figures, you know, are, uh, you know, today, the, the, the thinking behind them and some of the techniques and, and shadowing and highlighting and, and things like that, uh, you know, they're universal. They're, they're, they're as relevant today as they were when Shep wrote that book 25 or 30 years ago. And there are now superior media to use acrylics i would say over oils but uh, but you still got to know where to put the colors and how to pose the figure and those ideas are timeless other you know uh usually talented modelers uh uh whether we're talking uh, marion van giles uh or or uh, mike blank uh have done other books that have have expanded on that knowledge but it's all kind of the same knowledge base well, the book looks super cool. It's there on Amazon. It's eighty bucks, uh, and I actually just snatched a used copy for forty. So yeah, there you go. Cool. Sorry, sorry, that doesn't pay you any, but I still got one. I know. <laughs> well, all, all the see, see again. Shep was all about in the punk rock world, Will, which you are unaware of. Uh, there's this concept of paying it forward. 
right? So a band from Madison, Wisconsin comes to Chicago. They crash on my floor. When I, my band goes to Madison, they put me up there. Uh, and so it is across the country. Um, and, you know, uh, all the proceeds from those two Shep books go to the Shep Payne Education Fund. What is that? You know, Joe Burton and I run it, and the, the ro- not that there was tons of money on the, in the royalties from these books, but, you know, a modeler needs uh, to be flown in to do a seminar for a local club, or a local club wants to do a publication, or we can sponsor something at a show. Uh, it all goes back right, in, right into the hobby. Very cool, very cool. It's good stuff. Okay, this seems like a great place to bring in our interview with Robert Kronbecker from Scale Model Challenge. Tetra Model Works are a leading producer of premium photo etch sets for all kinds of modeling genres. From armor to ships to aircraft and more, they make some of the best PE you can buy. And I know because I use it myself. I love it so much I even sell it in my own store. The design is outstanding, sharp and clean detail, well designed folds and easily constructed assemblies. Easy to use, their high quality brass is just the right thickness and strong so it won't break on you. Their sets provide the maximum of detail but never with parts you don't need or can't use. Instructions are clear and very easy to follow. Sold in hobby stores around the world, just look for Tetra Model for the very best in photo etch and accessories. You can find a full list of their distributors at tetramodel.com. That's tetra, T-E-T-R-A, model.com. All right, everybody, here we go. We are joined here in uh, at Sprue Cutters Union headquarters in our top secret location with a very special guest today. I think you guys are going to be pretty stoked. Uh, we have with us today, Mr. Robert Krumbicke. See, yeah, I, I was paying, I was, I was paying attention. I, I, I tried to, I tried to practice in my mind. Um, but the important thing is, is that Robert is the honcho of scale model challenge, which if you, I've been living under a rock and are not familiar. That is probably the preeminent model making show on planet Earth. And we are super stoked to have him here with us and give us all the inside scoop on that whole affair. So, Robert, welcome aboard the Sprue Cutters Union. Thank you very much. First time in my life I'm joining a union anyway. So, (laughs) (laughs) it's a magic moment. Well, we're happy to have you, comrade, and uh, <laughs> we have we have we have lots of questions for you. We're going to expect you to be wearing a Sprue Cutters Union T-shirt at the next SMC. I need to. <laughs> it's a must-have huh? by now. Robert, obviously, we wanted to um, we wanted to ask you about SMC, but before we do, you've been a, a modeler yourself for a very long time in in uh, figures, dioramas, military, and have you? What? Uh, how did you get started in modeling? What's your your um, background in modeling itself my divorce was that therapy for the divorce or the cause of the divorce uh no just a result um <laughs> no i i think i started modeling as a kid i think like most of us uh yeah. when i was 
maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, I bought Matchbox and Airfix kits, the, the bagged ones, the cheap ones, and uh, 172nd scale, I guess. So I think I, I built the whole Airfix uh, airfield kit, you know, with all the, the, the fire truck, and, uh, as far as I can remember. And uh, at that time, it was mostly planes. And then uh, life got in between things, I guess. And after my divorce, I picked up. No, I uh, no. After my divorce, I met my current. Uh, I met my current wife, Margot, and her son was building a, a to me a motorbike, one twelve scale or something, or something. And he had this um, catalogs by Tamiya uh, on the table, and I was going through them. And I saw these one thirty fifth scale uh, dioramas that they had at the time. I was sold. And I really wanted to get back into the hobby, and that's how it started. You know, the, 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 with the Valinden dioramas, and you know, I, I think I still have those catalogs from back in the day. So that's when I got back in the hobby. So I think that's, uh, I think it's almost twenty-five years ago, actually. Yeah, those catalogs are classic. Yeah, and, and the funny thing was, at the time I was working in Belgium, and around the corner was the uh, the printer of the Valinden magazines and books at the time. For some reason, you know, just coincidence, and that got me triggered. And I, I worked in Belgium, like I said, and it was pretty close to where the Valinden uh, had had office was. At least I thought. Um, I thought I'd just go there and have a look, see if I can get in. And by that time, they moved to the U.S. <laughs> I wasn't aware <laughs> of that, but I found that out a couple of weeks later because I think internet was still uh, non-existent at the time or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, that's that's and that's that's how things really got got rolling again. And, and the funny thing is, I remember that I was buying stuff like crazy, paints and tools and books and more books and more magazines. And you know, <laughs> I think it took me a year to finish my first diorama, which featured a jeep and three figures. And that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I read I read more about it and I bought a lot of stuff before I actually did something. So. Well, you you are a fantastic model maker, and just so that uh, everybody out there in listener land can uh, knows, uh, you have a website storiesinminiature.com, dot uh, com where where I people do. can go see go see your work, and uh, not only yours, but you mentioned Margot, your wife, is an extraordinarily talented uh, figure painter as well. I needed somebody to draw attention to the website. So I thought my wife would be a good option because she's a really <laughs> terrific figure painter. <laughs> and, and she does really, and, and, and she paints a lot. And my output is um, so-so. I mean, I don't, I'm not that much of a, I don't have much output anymore the last two decades, <laughs> last decade, I guess, since I started organizing the show probably. Yeah. Well, she really is very good. We might have to get her on here for an inter- for an interview as well. Hey. <laughs> that would be that would be nice. Yeah, I'll try to persuade her. Okay. Uh, talking of the show, that's um, the Scale Model Factories uh, show. Is that right? N- n- the first? Sh- no, no, no. Scale Model Factory is our club. Yeah, the club organizes the show, or is it a separate thing, or how does that work? Uh, let's say most of the people working at the show are club members, so in that sense, it's a club event. But b- because the show became pretty big. And also financially, it became uh, sort of a risk or, you know, a big undertaking anyway, uh, more than any club could bear. We decided to split it up, but that's a technical thing. And uh, so, but that's not that, that's only a few years back that we uh, started a foundation to become 
<laughs> legal and official, I guess, uh, yeah. because it was necessary for, for, for many different reasons. Uh, so now it's, it's, it, there's a foundation. We call it the, the O for Zero uh, Foundation, O for Nothing. Let's go back in. Let's go back into history uh, a little bit, uh, uh, because you know I'm curious about this, and I know listeners are. How 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 long has SMC been running, and how did it how did it get started? Uh, We started in 2007. Uh, At the time, I was um, a coordinator for the southeast of Holland for a club called Twenot, which is the let's say for for the British listeners, is the sort of equivalent to the Mafa. Uh, So it's an armor club. So they they have two sides of the club. The one is for the for the real, real scale armor for the you know the real tanks and the and, and stuff, and the other side is for scale models. And um, so in two thousand seven, um, I became a regional coordinator. There was a vacancy there, and uh, they they wanted to get you know something done. So we started a club. I, they had a forum at the time that was mostly modeling related, not so much. Uh, into vehicles itself. And, you know, I call out for people that say, okay, you want to start meeting, you know, every month somewhere in the region. And so what happened, we got, I think, maybe eight, nine or 10 people together within a week or so. And then we had our first meeting, not in Eindhoven, what we do now, but in Overloan, where they have the, uh, the Peace Museum. It's, 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 a, it's, a mili- it's a museum commemorating mostly Second World War, so they have they have a nice collection of vehicles and uh, and other stuff there. But that's why we had our first uh, meeting, and then I don't know. I think from even before when 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 Twainot, they have. I mean, they're a national club, so they don't meet every week or every month. They only have only uh, have three meetings a year uh, officially, and at a few of these meetings, you meet people, of course, that you know from the forum and. Um, one of the guys that I also met, you know, we could get along pretty well, uh, was uh, Roy Schurgers. He's the owner of Diodump. I don't know if you know the company, but he makes extraordinary diorama stuff. I've seen it. And I think he's still one of the best storytellers in diorama building anyway. And I asked him, and he, he joined the, uh, the, the the first meeting as well, and then from one thing came another, and then I said to him, at one point, I said, Roy, what about organizing a show in Holland? Because let's face it, there is a lot left to be desired in as far as shows is concerned in Holland at the time. And uh, he said, yeah, okay, we'll do that. So <laughs> I think, and I said, okay, uh, we're going to do it the same year as when we started. So we started in 2007. That was, I think, March or April that we had the first our first club meeting. And then I think the first show was in November 2007. So we geared it up pretty fast. And uh, I think the second club meeting we had already in Eindhoven because I thought the, the way to Overloan was way too long. And uh, and we wanted to do the show in the place where we were having our club meetings. And we started inviting some clubs and uh, traders. And we had a, a, an impressive list after two weeks already. And then we started measuring out the space that we had at the place that we intended it to, to have the show. And we thought, uh-uh. This is never going to fit. So we were forced to find another venue from the beginning because it was, I'd say, the um, the interest for the show from clubs and traders was was huge because we wanted they, – they said that there was not too much in that time of year for us. So, yeah, we were all interested. So that's how it started, basically. Just do it. 
you know, <laughs> just do it. And, and, and merely because, um, I just said there was a lot left to be desired. Of course, there's just an opinion of a few. That was just the opinion of a few people. But in Holland, still, there aren't that many shows. You have the IPMS nationals, they're called uh, ESM these days, European Skill Modeling Shows, ESM. It's, it's, that's what it's called now. But the IPMS show was, at the time, the only real modeling show that was there. And I visited it after I visited uh, some Belgian shows as well. And um, my conclusion was that, uh, especially for armor builders, where I was originating from, there was a, a lot left to be desired. So I'm sorry, Will, but the IPMS was a bit too much craft <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> orientated at the time, and actually still is, at least in Holland. I don't know how it is in other countries. So I there's a bit of a problem but, there that you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> we all feel kind yeah. of the same way. Well, I don't know. For sure, and just 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 so you so everybody knows, I'm 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 the you know I'm I'm in the minority here because I've never even been to a show. There's not an IPMS chapter within 500 miles of where I live, and and so it's it's pretty difficult. But I can completely relate to what you're saying about there being something left to be desired, uh, because back in my previous life, I was a dirt bike racing guy. And I, I belonged to a, a group, uh, you know, we were, we had a racing series and we all had these gripes. And mm -hmm. so a group of us got together and we said, okay, what would we improve if we started our own racing series? And then we did that and we addressed each one of those things. And so I'm curious because I can, I can hundred percent vibe with this. What were the things you saw with other shows that triggered you and said, Hey, we can do this better. You know, I, I'm going to be, perfectly honest here and i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna beat around the bush although something well it, it does mean that some things that i'm gonna say might not be politically correct that's so that's a hundred percent okay but that's my middle name anyway and i don't want to step on i don't want to step on people's toes but the, the thing is that i have to start with saying which is basically an apology for what i'm about to say next <laughs> but no no everybody in this hobby should enjoy the hobby the way they do it. I mean, if you want to enter a competition, do that. If you don't, don't. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, everybody has their own level. Not everybody is interested in making uh, a, a tank like a guy like Lester Plaskett or Adam Waller would do. Uh, and they don't have the time or the talent or the interest to spend so many hours on a model. And, you know, they're perfectly happy with putting some olive drab from the jar on their Sherman and, you know, when their grandmother or their grandchildren tell them it's a fantastic uh, kit, hey, they're happy with it, and I'm fine. I mean, I don't judge that. But when I go to – when I went to my first IPMS show in Holland, then you see this – you see the exhibition of these models, and there was a sign sitting there that, that, that it was hand-painted. Well, that was sort of <laughs> obvious. Let, let me put it that way. Didn't need a sign for that. No. <laughs> Uh, but still, okay, the level of the competition was sort of disappointing. And like I said, not everybody is interested in a competition to start with, but I think it's a solid part of any good show. And, and that was, I don't know, the, 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 it was a small contest. For, for, for being uh, the one major show in Holland, I found the, 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 the numbers in the contest not that great nor the quality was that great. And I compared it to the show 
in Belgium that I went to that because that was the first show that I went to ever ever went to, and that was from the guys from Lear from BSMC, uh, Belgian Scale Modelers Club, and they make fantastic models there, and they had a great show, and that was the first show that I visited, and after that I visited a show in Holland and and some other shows as well, and in Holland and well. I, I saw that in Belgium, the level was higher, the commitment was higher. There were a lot of clubs present. They talked about the models with each other. And, you know, there was a great atmosphere. I mean, and that's what I liked about them and still do like about the Belgian shows. Whereas what I see in Holland is that a lot of people, if there is a show, a lot of people come to buy kits, period, which is fine. I mean, if that's what they want from a show, it's fine but it's not what I like from a show. I mean, I buy some stuff, but usually I don't find what I want anyway. And, uh, and, and so that was also something that was, that was lacking because I was really looking for specific tools, specific paints, specific this and that. And it wasn't there at any show, by the way, not necessarily just in Holland. So that was one of the things that I thought, okay, that could be better. The offering of whatever there is to buy in a hobby, it should be present at a show. So, that's the reason that we have so many vendors every year. Uh, and I think that's also part of the success of our show, that we have a lot, a lot of traders there and a big variety as well. Because another answer to your question, what I didn't like is that a lot of shows have a lot of secondhand stuff there, which is usually on many shows, the majority of traders is just secondhand stuff. And again, there are people even in our club as well, that really look for cheap kits that, you know, they want to go home uh, having spent 150 or 200 euros and have 15 or 20 kits for that money. It's a choice. Uh, it's not necessarily my choice, but hey, if they're happy with it, it's fine. So we do cater for that need as well at our show, but it's it's just a section of the show where we have secondhand stuff. We call it the vintage market. Sounds better, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, it caters to that, that need. But th those are the things, those are, I think, the, the most important things that I missed at, at, at other shows as well. So when we started our show, of course, we, we took the good things from shows that, that we found or that we visited. We took the good things and where we, the things that we thought we could improve, we improved. But, you know, it's all from our standpoint. And, uh, you know, that everybody thinks they're doing it the right way, right? <laughs> but the proof of that pudding is that <laughs> the show's grown phenomenally in the last, uh, what, 12, 13 years. I mean, you've gone from, when I first went, it was in a school, I think. And now it's, um, That's right. it's over That's right. almost a whole hotel just outside of Eindhoven. When we couldn't, when we couldn't fit it in into that first place that we wanted it to do, I, I had to look for another venue. And I ended up in the, um, the Graphic Lyceum of an Eindhoven, which is, you know, graphic lighting that's what it is um so they were pretty they were interested in, in in hosting it there we did we we we've been there for three years 2007 8 and 9 and so that's where we started we did a one day uh and then it was a one day show Ooh, somebody's peeking <laughs> hide 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 <laughs> hey we said we wanted to get your wife on the podcast yeah. and there she is <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah let's talk so, about that yeah. growth and how big it is so people have a frame of reference okay well i think let's say the first show was in a, in a, at a school and i think from from the first show on it was pretty amazing i think we had 
I think the first year, something like 50 vendors and I don't know, maybe 20 clubs, mostly from Belgium, Germany, and some from Holland. Uh, the, the reason we moved actually was that uh, because it was a school, the show was pretty short after the summer holidays, so in October. And when I went to the school early September to, you know, to arrange the last, the last things, because my preparation had already been done and I had all the bookings and the reservations for everybody. And then you find, you know, that, okay, but that area, you can't use it anymore because we have the lockers now there and <laughs> uh, you, you can't use that. So it was a lot of shifting around. So, so at one point we also came to the conclusion that if we wanted to grow as a show, we had to charge some entrance fee. So at the time at the school, uh, the, the, there were two of the janitors that were dealing with the uh, the catering st stuff, so they could make some money on the side, which was fine uh, with us. I mean, we never got any anything from that, and we still don't. But you know, that's fine. We just wanted to organize a show, and I had a discussion with them, and I said, "Yeah, we, we want to charge three fifty for everybody that comes in." They said, "No, you can't do that because then it's commercial activity." I said, yeah, guys, but I heard that you charge a euro and the second year, two euros for parking. And you put your son, <laughs> you put your son in charge of the parking area. <laughs> and we never agreed with that. So that, that, because that was something that we heard much later. And uh, so we had a bit of a falling out with them. Or I had actually. So I, I was pretty pissed off when I came out of that conversation. And I thought, you know, guys, you screw you. I'm going to look for another place. So actually, I think I made a few calls or I just drove straight up to Koningshof where we are now, an NH hotel. And I asked, do you have time in six weeks? Do you have space in six weeks time? Because I have a show. <laughs> 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 and that was, yeah, that was pretty dumb actually. But okay. So, and they said, yeah, actually we do. Okay. Uh, because that was, it was still a one day show at the time. It was uh, just on, just on the, on the Sunday. And, um, of course, the, the, the costs were much higher, so we lost money that year. But we managed, and it was nice, and it was big and spacious. And, you know, the facilities there are great uh, because they have the total exposition space that we use is 6,000 square meters. I don't know how that works out in feet, but you can do the calculation yourself, I guess. It's pretty uh, big. But it's it's pretty big. And, um, and it's, you know, basically it's three adjacent halls and one other big hall and it feels more like one place and you know by the time we expanded a little bit more to to the left and to the right but basically that's it and it's six thousand square meters now and uh at the place where we are now it's it, it's a, it's a convention hotel as well so they have 500 rooms big exposition halls and they got i know a zillion meeting rooms because they have a lot of these meetings every every day from companies and whatever there is you know they have a sports center there uh, swimming pool you know, the lot. It's just a hotel where you can stay for. <laughs> I, I, the other day, I was talking to Michael Contreras, which is who's a, a figure uh, producer in the, from Greece, talking about some memories of our show. And the first time he was there, I asked him after I think on with a dinner on Sunday evening. I asked him, said Michael, are you still happy? He said, "What do you think? I haven't seen daylight in three days, and I'm still laughing." <laughs> so, and and then I realized actually that indeed i never go out during the show i don't see daylight i spent three you know all days inside that's a great endorsement it is actually but that that was an eye-opener for some reason <laughs> somebody from greece had to tell me that yeah 
So, so uh, just to put it in simple terms, how many how many models, how many contestants do you do you reckon that you that you're seeing at at uh, each show? Uh, I think the 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 most was just a little under two thousand. Wow, uh, entries, of which a lot a lot of figures as well. Uh, I think half of that was figures, maybe even a bit more. Uh, and I think the last uh, in two thousand nineteen we had uh one thousand eight hundred entries or something. That's the show so, that I got to go to. That's the one in two thousand. Which one? Last, last one, one yeah. basically. Two thousand nineteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but you know, and two hundred. That was basically in the figure section that we had less entries because uh, some of the Italians didn't show up, and there are also always a couple of guys that bring a lot of models from their clubs. So they bring models for you know eight or ten different modelers, and they have six to eight pieces each. So you know that adds up if those people don't show up. But you know, okay. But anyway, that 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 that's nowadays a bit of an average. So let's say one thousand eight hundred pieces. That would be nice. that's nice. A lot of guys would be used to the IPMS uh, a general system of first, second, and third, where if you take five models, yeah. then each model is assessed individually. But you run the open system where people have a display with their models. Can you explain to people how that works if they're not familiar with it? Well, the the, the, the open system itself um, is is more based. It, it It's not something that we invented. Huh? Uh, hmm. Allegedly, uh, Shep Payne was the one that came up with that system because – Shep was the guy that was in in his days. He was walking away with the gold medal every time, leaving everybody else <laughs> standing there. <laughs> and he felt he felt the need for change. I mean, that's that's what Bill Oran told me, and you know, that's because that's the World Model Expo system. And I and I think it's become, from what I heard, more of the American system to to work according to the open system. Now the open system, it's it's more like possible that there are multiple gold, silvers, or bronzes within one category or class, whatever you call it. So that's that's one thing. And the theory, I must say the theory, is that uh, models are judged by their own merits and not so much compared to the one, to the one, to the model uh, from the modeler on the left or the modeler to the right. So they're judged against a standard rather than uh, in competition. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's basically it. And that's what we tried to do in SMC also for uh, uh, a, a longer time. That's why we have some judging guidelines. And, of course, we stole that idea a little bit from you guys like Euromilitaire and other shows as well. I mean, <laughs> good ideas are good ideas. I mean, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Uh, but, yeah, um, so that's that's basically you, you judge a model against uh, a standard and not so much against – the, the, the other the other models of course um well you know you, there's a lot to say about that but that's basically it now then the thing that we changed for our show as well and that's also how it's done at uh, the world model expo but also in shows in italy and france that we visited and probably in spain as well uh is that people if you enter in one class even even with with, with aircraft you know you have uh you enter into master's category, 148 scale um, uh, aircraft. You have five models in there, but you can only get one medal because those five models are your display, as a, as we, we call it. And the best one gets a medal. 
whether that's being a gold, silver, or bronze, doesn't matter. So, and we did that also because at our show we had so many entries. Then, you know, you would have the same guy coming for his umpteenth medal for his umpteenth Napoleon fair or his umpteenth Sherman, whatever. And we said, okay, the ceremony is taking a long time, and we don't want. We, I mean, we grant everybody their their medal and their fifteen seconds of fame. But if you limit the numbers of medals that you give per category, per modeler, then it's fine. And if you enter into three different categories, if you have also five aircraft in 172nd scale and, 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 and five in 132nd scale, you can still get a medal in one class, the other class, and then in the third class, you can still win that medal. So I don't think uh, it makes much of a difference. And that's also the system that... Um, but but that is not so much the open system in itself. That is not so much the the display thing. The the the, the open system is more that you judge against a certain standard. From a, I, even from a distant observer's standpoint, uh, I think it's it makes perfect sense because again, going back to my dirt bike racing days, you know you've got you've got motocross and there's first, second, and third. That's it. Uh, doesn't matter how many participants there are, and that's one way of doing yeah. it. Then there's another yeah. form of off-road racing competition where it, you have a fastest guy on the day, and he sets the time standard, and then everybody who's within a certain percentage of that time gets a gold medal. Yeah. Everybody who's in the All next right. bracket gets a silver okay. and a bronze and so on. And and I think that it's it's great because it builds the sort of level of enthusiasm for all of the competitors it definitely contradicts the issue that some of these guys who prefer the IPMS system will always bring up in these debates about which system is better. And that is, well, it seems like everybody's getting a participation medal. How, 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 how do you, how do you address, how do you address that protest? Well, I think the percentage of medals given at our show is less than 20. What was it last time? less than 23% of the total entries. I have those kind of figures in my head, but it's, you know, it's bullshit anyway, because it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Right. But uh, there's two different things. The whole, um, in, in modeling shows, competition, it's a judging sport, right? Mm -hmm. And in judging sport, there's always arguments about, you know, whether that gold medal or whatever is deserved. If it, you know, whether it's a, the Olympic games or, a scale modeling show it doesn't matter people are always well the gold medal winners never complain by the way it's the others <laughs> um and and yeah sorry that's the way it is but you know in a race in sports you know it's pretty usually pretty clear who comes in first second and third so i mean that's okay uh personally i'm not really a fan of just giving out awards for showing up i mean Let's be very clear about that. Um, I think a medal should be well-deserved uh, because then it means something. And if everybody would get that gold medal as a, you know, uh, uh, a proof of participation, um, I think that that will be a bit too far because then the gold medal wouldn't mean anything anymore, you know. Uh, but since, like I said, it's a jury sport, there will always be discussion about whether a medal is justified, yes or no. But anyway, that's absolutely absolutely true. And I forgot to mention that in the in the motorcycle analogy, there's that whole bunch of guys who 
were too slow to even make it into the bronze category. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. They, well, if you they, can't stand the heat, don't exactly. Uh, they they get it. They get a t-shirt. You know, try harder. Now. Yeah. Well, we what we did at, at SMC, I think one of the if I if I dare to make the comparison with uh, iconic Euro Militaire, is that Euro Militaire everything was one level. So the big guys and the newbies would compete in the mm. same class. Oh, okay. That's tough. Yes, very tough. And so we, what we did and what we main, still maintain is differentiation in levels. So in the most popular classes, we still have a beginner's level. We have uh, what we call standard or advanced, whatever that may be, and masters. So let's say for 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 in the military for the models for uh, military models, um, there is a masters category and a standard category for aircraft, but only for one forty eight scale because those are the two biggest classes. We have a standard and a and a masters class. Um, but that's you know we, we you have to make choices at some point, and for this year hopefully, we have made some changes in 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 all um, classes as well. For instance, for beginners, um, we have one class for the scale modeling. So whether you build a ship, an aircraft, or a tank, you can enter into the beginner's class. So that's one thing. And, but what I said about making choices, it's because we, we find that the, the award ceremony is taking a hell of a long time because we also said, okay, we want to give everybody the 15 seconds of fame, whether you win a gold, silver, or bronze medal, you come on stage. So... We, we say we have to limit our number of classes. So that's why we like, we, we don't have so many, uh, different aircraft classes. We don't make any differentiation between props and jet aircraft. You know, what it's 172nd, 148th and 132nd scale for, for airplanes. And, you know, that's it. <laughs> you know, it shouldn't be that hard because, uh, to make any difference because you see some shows that have a zillion classes in their competition. But we think, okay, we prefer to have more entries into one class so that the medal that you win is actually, you know, stands for something. It's yeah. meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a bit Absolutely. more theoretically. <laughs> Everything's theoretically. Uh, it, it makes me feel great because I entered this, the, you know, the standard 35th scale armor yeah. category. And, you know, there are a huge amount of entries yeah. in that category. Um, and I came to participate rather than observe. You know, I, I came all the way across yeah. from the U.S., and it was the day that we were flying out that I decided, okay, I'm bringing something. I'm, I'm going to bring something because I didn't just come there to meet my friends and, and look at everybody else's work. I'm going to, you know, I brought my own. And Marcus Lack was okay. one of the judges, and we were out uh, doing something, and I get a text from Marcus with a picture that says, you know, next to my two medals in the standard categories or two models in the standard category that says your armor is your model is not a metal. And I was like, I told Marcus, it's like, you're fucking kidding, right? He goes, I'm German. I don't kid. And I was like, oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marcus, is a, Marcus is a great guy. And I, yeah. He's yeah. a fantastic yeah. guy. But I, I, I kept asking him which model of the two won the medal. Um, and I didn't understand at the time that they were being yeah. judged together. But learning more about the judging just makes me love that show more. You know, I'm just because I feel like in the 
in the U.S. with the standard IPS stuff that I ran into years ago when I would go to any kind of a show, it's all exclusionary. You're you're looking to exclude models, yeah, all the way down the line until you find the best three. Instead of saying, "Well, these two are just as good," like they're both good, like why? Yeah, you know, why don't they- you know? But you have these discussions everywhere. I mean, I don't want to burn down IPMS at all because I think, as an organization, I think they also um, contributed a lot to the the modeling community. Whatever you, however you look at it, it's just that I, what, what I read, I think it was two years ago. It, I think it was Telford. I think it. I don't know who it was that wrote it. It was Master David Parker or somebody else. Oh, or was it you, Chris? I don't know. That somebody said that a, a model was disqualified because it didn't meet the criteria of the the class or something. Well, I mean, but it was actually that was that that was a note that they put notes to the models that said disqualified. I mean, and that's not really helping, is it? Yeah, that happens. I mean, that's what I don't like. I mean, and, and that's what encourage, encouragement means a, a lot to people. And that's also why we, we started with highly commended. Because honestly, if you start if you start judging, I mean, as an organization, we stay away from the judging. We invite judges. We have two head judges, one for scale modeling and one for the figures. And, uh, and, and, and they run the judging. And we don't interfere with that. Uh, we don't recall any decisions they made. Whether we like them or not, we don't do that. Because I I think it's important to to keep it as independent as possible. But, you know, when you go like disqualifying things, but, you know, it's it's like what we so we we try to encourage by giving out these highly commended for the ones that just didn't make the medals. Because sometimes the line is very thin. I mean, if if you start judging, and I judged at some shows as well, the goals stand out pretty much by themselves. The, the, I mean, at every show. I, I saw that even when I was not judging at Euro Militaire, the ones that really got a gold medal, they really stand out usually. And the, the difficult ones to judge are the silvers and the bronzes because, you know, it's always a, a long discussion about that as well. And then you have a category that you say, okay, is it bronze? Is it not bronze? Yeah, well, well. and that's why we have these highly commended as well. And we give out quite a few of them. But also the highly commended should be deserved because they just didn't make the medals. And it's, it's, it's also an encouragement and it makes people happy. I mean, I, I got highly commended at Euro Militaire and I was, you know, I was on, uh, <laughs> I was in heaven when I got one. So, hey, I think, I think it motivates. I, I think it definitely says something when you look at the, uh, the quality of the work that you're surrounded with. Yeah. You know, I mean, Euro Militaire, uh, SMC, you look at the, the work around you. And if you walk away with even a highly commended, fuck yeah, that feels great. Yes, it does. It does. Like mm-hmm. The level of competition is, uh, is fierce. Yeah. Um, and the quality of the work is incredible. Yeah. It's, it's the highest quality of work I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. You know that that top level is basically unrestrained. Like there's nothing left on the table. There's nothing that discourages risk taking. And so this, this brings me to a question that I'm trying to imagine some of our listeners who are more familiar with the IPMS system asking. And that is, I hate to keep wearing out the motorcycle racing analogy, but I want people who are hearing this to really understand. I know, I know, but, but (laughs) obviously with a judged competition, you don't have a number, Mm. right? 
There's not a time standard where everybody can say, all right, you're 10% slower, you're 20% slower. Judging is a whole different deal. And it's even more complicated than like, like let's take Olympic gymnastics, for example. That, those, those type of judged events are based on a series of mm-hmm. moves that everybody yeah. knows, right? A double, triple <laughs> somersault backflip is given a certain, mm-hmm. right? It's got a certain level of difficulty that the community acknowledges. And so you get a certain sort of score for yeah. doing that. But with scale modeling, that's a way more difficult proposition, yes. right? Because unless you know, for example, this guy is building this particular kit that's universally known to be terrible and he made it look beautiful. Like, so the question that I'm getting to is how do you set the standard that everybody is judged by? How do the judges bring that to the table and make their evaluations? Okay. Part of it remains subjective. Totally. I mean, you cannot make it completely objective at any time, as far as we're concerned, what we did, and that is something that we did took take from the Euromilitaire system, is that you, you can get 100% score for a certain thing. And we divide it for, uh, for your model, and we divide it into certain things. It, it, let's say you, you have a, uh, a, a, an AV. It's judged on a few criteria. One of them is, let's say, how it's built, quality of the build, the quality of the finishing, presentation counts for a little bit as well and then but then you start to think okay uh and and these are the judging guidelines that we also have on the smc website so everybody knows what the judges get to judge with so let's say that the presentation counts for maybe 10 percent of the whole uh but the, the the finishing which we consider to be the thing in aav at this moment, I heard you talk in, another, in one of the podcasts as well. That, you know, whether the building or the construction or the the weathering, uh, you know, how, how important that is. But we think that the weathering is perhaps the most important part of the whole presentation of the of an AV. Anyway, so you have a certain percentage for that, and then you have a certain percentage percentage for construction. Because if the thing is weathered nicely, but there's a lot of faults in the construction, it doesn't mean necessarily that you are entitled to a medal. Let's uh, let's put it that way. So, um, so we have these judging criteria on the website, and that's what we give to the judges, and we say, okay, you judge by that. But so, so these are pretty absolute numbers that they can use if if there is a discussion or whatever. But usually when you say, okay, uh, let's say weathering makes 30% or 35 or 40%, whatever, of the total, then still within that, we have three judges per team that judge that particular class. And, uh, you know, one can say that the weathering is crap and the other one can say, hey, it's, it's, it's genius. You, you can still have that. <laughs> I mean, they're people, you know, and they have their opinion unfortunately. So, I mean, it still can happen and you, you cannot rule that stuff out. That's why I say sometimes it's still subjective. Not that it happens a lot, but, you know, it, it is possible. Theoretically, it's possible that you have two completely opposite opinions on, on, on something. But, you know, that's 
mainly theory. It's just to <laughs> to help out the guys that don't like the <laughs> don't like our system. But yeah, no. But that's that's that's, <laughs> and I and I think it's the best way because I remember uh, a couple of years ago there was a discussion between two big shots that were judging, and uh, they said, yeah, but you know, uh, and it, it was in a figure class as well, and it was a scratched figure that was painted, and uh, there was a discussion that I. Uh, heard afterwards by the way i wasn't present and they had th those two judges had a discussion over that and then the head judge came and he said yeah but you know look at the rules what is more important the artistic part or whatever i don't know exactly what the what the exact discussion was but and he said just follow the guidelines and then okay then it was clear and then i said okay then it's a gold or silver whatever it was but uh we, do, we don't give points or something it's unlike with the world uh world model expo system where the judges give points what we do in our show is that the three judges they they judge the models in that class that they have to judge and they say okay that those are the golds the silvers and the bronzes period uh, at the world model expo each judge within the team gives their own points going from zero to five and then you add up the numbers and until if you have a certain score, it's a bronze, that score is silver, and between this and that, it's a gold. Got it. So it almost sounds like with yours, it's more of a voting system between the three judges. But that's why we have three judges. Got it. So obviously you have to have judges who know their shit. I mean, it, it sounds, sounds to me like that's critical. You have to have a certain yeah. level of... of, of qualification if you will so how does one become a judge at smc uh you we, we we invite judges that we know have judged in other competitions to start with uh we try to avoid the ones that have a very bad reputation of burning everything down <laughs> uh who, who <laughs> yeah that that judge by elimination uh, let's uh, just look look at only looking at the bad things of a model or if there is a bad thing at a model um and we also invite new people that we see that just build great models uh doesn't mean they're good judges by the way so that's always right. a risk so we we try to keep if we have new people in in as judges we put them in a team with two judges that we that have judged at the show before or on renowned mo uh, judges as well. So we, we we never put three new guys in a or two guys in a team. So it's always two experienced one and a new one if there is a new one. Uh, because I think it's important that you get new judges. Because if you always have the same judges, you always get some bias as well, mm -hmm. and you try to avoid that as much as possible. Very cool. So we lost Tracy because he's had a power outage, but we're going to soldier right. on. Yeah, that's yeah. Hey, it happens. <laughs> um, so again, I'm trying to imagine, you know, some of the guys over here who uh, who are involved because we're about to have the IPMS Nationals over here in the United States, mm -hmm. um, and it's a big deal. Uh, I my, I think hopefully I don't get this wrong. I think that they're talking about like three thousand models. Is typical uh, of an IPMS national event. It's pretty good, um, <laughs> and, 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 and I know, but but I, I know that the numbers you know matter when when you're thinking about the comparisons. So, how many judges do you have to have to run your show? 
Um, I think for this year we have uh, 27 classes, and it depends a bit on how big the classes are, but I think the total number of judges we have would come out around 55 to 60 every year. And I, and I hope everybody's picking up on a really important point is that you have, uh, I mean, if, you know, you have consistency year over year because you have a, a, you know, a large percentage of your judges are, are guys who did it the year before, the year before. Mm-hmm. You, you know, they've been vetted that way. They have experience. And the key difference is with the IPMS system that the judges, a lot of them are going to come from the local hosting show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the local club that's hosting yeah. the show. Yeah. Um, and then basically just, you know, from guys who sign up and say, Hey, I want to be a judge. Um, and it's more about manpower than it is yeah. about, you know, sort of qualifying. Yeah. But it's, it's tricky because we also, a couple of years ago, we, um, and that's something that we picked up at some other shows experienced during other shows is that at our show, Judges are not allowed to compete themselves that year. Oh, so that's why that's we, we, yeah, but we make it, that makes it pretty hard for us as well because, you know, they might want to skip participating in a competition one year, but they don't want to do that every year. Um, so you have to, th- that's why we need a, a big group of potential judges uh, to work with so we can, you know, they, they can change around. Did you have a uh, judge at our show, Chris? Yeah, uh, yeah. Last uh, yeah, twenty nineteen. Oh, really? Okay. I I, I don't yeah. do the invites myself, <laughs> so you know I'm talking a lot of bullshit now, right? <laughs> you, you go- <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was just thinking about you know it makes me remember all the, the all the chats we had discussing models and all. Yeah, yeah. But okay, so yeah, so, so so the judges cannot participate. So that because we did find at other shows that when the judging takes a long time that other judges, when they see that their class is being uh, judged, you know, they, they come, they, they, you see them and they, they, they come near to the, the judges and hear what they have to say. And then they say, and then they, they make some remark like, Hey, did you see that model? That's complete crap. You know, like, like, okay, but mine is so much better. Right. But this one's total crap. And that's what we don't want. We don't want to, we, no, we try to rule it out as much as possible because you can never avoid, people influencing others also though you you're always going to get the accusation that that's happened yeah and if you run it like that you no one can say that yeah well they can and they do but you know we we, we know do, yeah. we, we know <laughs> well we know what our intentions are and you know in a perfect world everything would work you know flawlessly but it you know <laughs> it's not a perfect world I don't know if that's news to you, but yeah. Talking of flawlessly, <laughs> you run a really good registration system. Could you tell us about that? For the for the contest? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, no more Euromilitaire bits of paper, none of that rubbish. You know, it's a system because, you know, Euromilitaire, they didn't want to keep any records because keeping records takes a lot of manpower. And what we have as a system, you know, it's 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 an application that one of the guys wrote and no, well, it started. No, <laughs> it started way. It started longer ago, and it's been perfected as we went along. And so it took a few years to to make it any better. But the system starts by making a, an account. You know, your name. Uh, I think we want to know which country you're from. We don't. We don't need all the information because we're not 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 
saving it anyway. Some basic stuff. And for this year, and that's new, now we, we, we divide our system, our competition in two. We have a scale modeling contest and a figure painting contest. Now, for each competition, you first have to choose your level. Before, we didn't have that. Uh, because we right. say, okay, you can enter the scale modeling competition as a, as a master, but if you had just started figure painting, you might not want to enter as a master master figure painter. You probably enter somewhere into, sta into standard. So that, that's a possibility you have. Between the two competitions, you can enter in two different levels. That's also new. When you enter that particular level, you can see the classes that you can enter your models in. So if you're a, right. a, a skill modeler and you enter into masters, you will find class, I don't know, I'm just saying something now, class 10, 15, and 21, for example, which is uh, masters uh, aircraft uh, 48 scale, uh, 35th scale um, uh, AVs and, and, and uh, masters, masters dioramas, for instance. Okay, so uh, yeah. That's that's uh, and that's a system. And for figures, you can do the same. And then you just enter the the stuff that you want to enter, and that's basically it. Then it's registered, and you can change that until a week before the show, when we start doing our stuff uh, behind the scenes. And uh, but you can make the changes yourself. So if you drop uh, your diorama just a week before, you just dis dis delete it from the entries, and you enter a new one that you just finished, and and that's it. And um, I think you can enter as many models as you like, but you only pay for a maximum of five. So uh, whether you bring whether you bring five, fifteen, or twenty-five models, the prize is maximum for five. So, because we want we want a lot of stuff on the tables, of course. So that's one of the reasons that we do it. Yeah, yeah, and, and we don't want to, you know, we, we want people to spend money with the traders as much as possible. So we keep, want to keep the traders happy as well. We don't want to take all their money. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another numbers question. Yeah. Uh, so with it, with 1,800 models, 60 judges, how long does it take to get through all of the judging? Uh, the, the figure guys in the master classes take most of the time. That's a fact. Uh, and they start. we start on Saturday at 3 o'clock, and then we close the, uh, the competition area because we don't want any visitors to, uh, to walk through the judges uh, judging um and the last ones i think i think last time they they voted for the best of shows at eight o'clock so that's five hours wow okay. and, and and that's because the year before it took them longer than that and we said, okay, guys, within five hours you have to make your decisions and at that particular time we're going to select the best of shows period so we, we we pushed a little bit but you know i judged euro militaire myself and you know it was the same from it took you five hours to judge yeah I, I mean i think that's really interesting because one again one of the arguments that you hear in these debates over which system is better is that the open system takes too long so, I mean, to me, five hours to get through nearly 2,000 models, that's pretty efficient. Well, you know, if, if you look at the show in, uh, in Hungary, Moson, um, which is also a very good show, by the way, and they have also 2,000 models, but scale models, mostly scale models. I mean, they have more scale models 
in the competition than we do. We have more figures than, than they have. But they also have a lot. And they have a different judging system, especially in the master's class. I think you judge her as well, huh, Chris? Yeah, and uh, so yeah, 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 so did I. And there you go by. I think in the masters, in the masters, you go by points. Yeah, you have a you have a sheet that. That's right. Yeah, we uh, don't even know what got gold. You just give it a score, and they decide then. What, yeah. You know. Well, they have a system. Well, so many points. Yeah. Okay, but yeah. but so that's another system. But that also takes ages to to finish. So <laughs> if 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 you have serious judges, and you have serious classes to to, to judge. Then it takes a long time. I mean, I'm not saying that. Uh, let's say for uh, I don't know, maybe the the standard class in um, in in uh, for the AFVs doesn't take five hours. It probably, and I think scale modeling judges tend to be a bit faster than that because we also have to force them to come back for judging the best of show. <laughs> <laughs> because usually you end up with the judges that do the figures and they, they and they vote for all the best of shows. And that's also something that we change, by the way. Uh, we let the uh, the figure judges judge the figure best of show and we let the scale model judges judge the scale model side of the, uh, of the competition, the best of show, because there are differences in perception. Definitely. We definitely. found we found that out <laughs> the hard way. So I'm, you know, like as I've, as I've said, I'm a distant observer. Yeah. What I get to see of all these shows is when somebody goes to a show and they post a a set of photos on Facebook or or whatever, and 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 you you know you have the opportunity to go through and and look at the models that that were the the winners and the exhibitions and the, mm-hmm. the overall thing. And, and it's certainly true that you can't tell a lot from a photo set like that. I mean, obviously, no. you can't see no. the real, you know, the real details. But there are certain things that you definitely can see. And one thing that I notice from pictures of SMC is the lighting. <laughs> that one, it, yeah. it, it, it looks like you guys have purchased but somewhere between 100 and 9,000 lamps. <laughs> Uh, and, and I'm curious about that. How, I mean, you guys. We have 184, to be exact. <laughs> I, I have an inven- I have an inv- I have an inventory list. It's classified by case in which the stuff is stocked. I well, mean, I, it's, I, 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 I admit I'm a, I'm a total geek. <laughs> I have all that stuff numbered and stuff. Yeah, but what, really. Yeah. <laughs> On a scale modeling podcast, <laughs> yeah, I dare to say that I'm a I'm, I'm an Uber geek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I say if uh, if you want to be successful in business, know your numbers. So I'm impressed. Well, all that, that shit, co- I, all that shit costs a lot of money. So you have to yeah. keep track of what you what you've got mm-hmm. and what you don't have and what you need for next time because things break. Uh, so yeah, but we have a lot of lights, and the, the thing is that at a lot of shows, indeed, the lighting is usually very bad. Or yes. uh, you have, you know, I don't know the English word for that, but you have the, they, they position the tables at a window, so when you judge it, you only yeah. see the contours of of a model. You cannot judge it that way. It's impossible. It's just impossible. Either that, or uh, under awful fluorescent light, uh, you know, makes the, everything yellow. The purple one, you mean? Mm-hmm. At, at, yeah. at, at, <laughs> in Folkestone, they had a at the at the. Uh, at some point, they they changed the lights uh, 
over the, t- the, 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 the people of, of the venue, huh? I mean, not the organization of the show. Mm. They turned into some, 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 what is it? It wasn't black light, but it was a purple fluorescent tube that was over the tables of the, of the armor. And the thing is that the guys that came in with the best armor, they were in, they were very early in the day and they put it there at that position. And during the day, it was fine because you had the light coming from the side, from outside. And that was okay. But by the time you got to judging for the gold medals, you got the bloody purple light over it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. But yeah, that's, but the lights were important. So we, we said, okay, what we want to do, because I think the, the, the first, the second, no, the first show we had in, in the, 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 the venue where we are now, we had these trusses over the table that costed us a fortune, uh, with, with stage lights over them. So, um, that was nice, but it was very expensive. So I said, instead of spending all that money every year, uh, I'm going to go to Ikea and buy Ikea lamps. <laughs> hey, it's, it's an Ikea lamp, right? So 995. Bulletproof. 995. I uh, never, it's <laughs> so, oh, 795, whatever they are. Yeah, that one. Exactly. <laughs> and now they only have the, yeah, but they don't have the silver ones anymore. Now they've got dark gray and yellow and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. that awful green yeah. one that you have. Uh, uh, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like this, my lamp. so, but we bought and then and and, and we bought the bulb, daylight bulbs as well, energy savers for mm. the green uh, for the green listeners. And uh, uh, yeah, um, uh, so we we bought that. So we have a lot of light, and you know, we also get some complaints that the light sometimes is a bit too harsh for the figures that are on top of the display. So we're looking for a solution for that as well, because, you know, it's never good enough. But the first time we had this, we walked into the, in, into the hall when every, all the lights were burning and it was like, like close encounters, you know, that, 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 the, the, the closing <laughs> scene from the movie, that way you have this spaceship that is, what was it landing or leaving? I, I can't remember, but it was a lot of light. Mm. So that's, that's what our, that's what the hall looks like on Friday night when there's no models on and just lights are on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I, I love the photos that we have from that. <laughs> well, everything that you do and, and you know, that you've talked about expresses one thing very clearly. And that's a passion for, for model making itself yep. for the artistry and and for the competition and you know just bringing a level of excellence to it and i you know i i think that's i mean i love that um i I wish you could come to the united states and do the same thing over here (laughs) i've been asked before yeah that's in england actually yeah that would be a bit difficult uh, these days uh, chris (laughs) yeah yeah Tell me about it. I'm still trying to work out how to trade at uh, SMC in October. Everybody does. We'll work out yeah, a way. A lot of people do that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a bit of a pain. Yeah, well, you know, I was our stuff is all it's all it's all in flight cases and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we could move we, we could move the whole circus around. Yeah, it's like a traveling circus. Uh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Just like Formula One. <laughs> yeah, just just different budget. Just a different budget. You know, there's, there's one thing about the judging that I would like to come back, that I'd like to say, uh, because what we, we always mm-hmm. say is that, you know, people bother to turn up and enter models into the show. So we think that judges, and that's why judging takes a long time as well, that the judges should have the courtesy of looking at all the models because the people that 
you know, mm. they, they deserve the attention. And whether you make the best model in the world or the worst model in the world, it doesn't really matter. Uh, as long as people uh, bother to show up, pay at the door and pay for the, entering in the competition, um, I think we, uh, we owe them that their models are judged in a proper way. And what we and what, what, what a lot of people don't do, and what I sometimes read is that yeah, but you know I don't get a report about my models. No, we don't write reports. That's true, but everybody is free to. I mean, the judges of the class, the particular class that you're in, they are known, and if they are not known, you can ask us, and you can ask the judges why your model got this or that or nothing, or why. Some people even ask why they got a gold. I know my wife once got a gold medal, and she asked the judge. Why do you give me a gold? And the guy was like, "What the fuck? <laughs> nobody, nobody who gets a gold medal asks why they get a gold." <laughs> yeah, but she said it was in standard class. So now I, I'm, I'm going to move up to masters because you know that's that's the way she was trained. You know, that's <laughs> when you get a medal, you go, you go a level up when you get a gold medal. Uh, and, and the guy was really surprised, and uh, but. Like I said, it's it's like everybody can, if they want, they can ask for the opinion of the judges, and then you can. I remember that Chris asked me once at Euromilitaire about his model. Mm. Can you remember that, Chris? I don't remember now. No, you don't? No. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. And I was looking. I was looking like I knew it. That like I knew the part. You know. I was like, yeah. yeah that's a shit model, Chris. No, no, I didn't. But no. I think I think I think it said I it lacked a little bit of finesse to get more than what it got at the moment. Mm. I think you got a bronze or something. I remember that stuff. Oh, it might have been that one I did loads of scratch work on and I got silver. Probably. And it's because I put loads of filler underneath the turret and forgot to sand it off. <laughs> yeah, that, that, so might, that might have done silver. it. That might have done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Basic- and then I entered it at uh, SMC. Having cleaned it, <laughs> it did better. <laughs> yeah, because that, because I wasn't judging that may be, that may have helped as well. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, judging is a tough job because you never do it right for everybody. Only only the gold winner. Yeah, but it's also a great job because you really get to look at the models. That, that, that's that's the good side of it because I also remember that one day I after you're a military, then I you got the, you, you get these pictures on. Uh, not on Facebook, but on the forums at the time, mm. and uh, and somebody said, "Oh," and, and I remember it was a, it was a, I think it was a Panzer three or four with finish markings, and that one mm. didn't get a medal, and I judged it that year because I remember it very well. And this and there was these guys running going on 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 the internet like, "Oh, ridiculous that that one didn't get a medal," and it's, you know, and the, the judges are shit and everything is shit, and you know. The whole world is shit. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, but I saw the other side of that thing. You know, that's how, how deceptive some uh, photographs can be, which is maybe a totally different subject. But, you know, if, if you turn a model around, if you judge a model, you, you judge it completely. You don't watch it from the best side of the picture. And that's when some people, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of the, the guys that enter competitions know how to position their models. <laughs> on the table <laughs> that's how it works yeah, yeah that's how it works and i and i really i see well everyone's put a model down and you come back and someone's moved it to put their model there because it's a good spot yeah, and stuff yeah. like that i remember you were a military when when you when you <laughs> when, when your model was on the top shelf you knew you had nothing that was you knew you sucked that yeah. was that was a shelf of shame 
<laughs> I ended up there a lot. I mean, now, but they, you know, that, that's what the judges do. Yeah. They, they make room for the ones that get medals, and they put the other ones on top because <laughs> because you will get in the way with your shit model. Yeah, yeah. the good old days. Uh, the good old days. Yeah. One last thing that I want to ask you about is 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 you, you get this thing again. There's you know there's these camps. Yeah. Um, because there's, there's, there's guys over here who are very staunch IPMS. And I, and I agree with you, even from my perspective, IPMS has done a lot for the, for the sport, so to speak. Yes. And, and, and they bring a lot of value. Yep. Um, but, no, but, no but doubt. there, you know, there, there is a lot of debate about how to move it forward. And I think everybody really wants the same thing, which is to raise the level of, of, you know, the competition, the, everybody's modeling skill. Um, etc. But my absolute favorite bit of dipshittery that you hear <laughs> from some of these guys is that it's all about basic modeling skills. That that IPMS yeah. uh, is construction first. Yes. If your wheels aren't straight yeah. and your wings yeah. aren't level and and this that and the other, and that those European shows let people disguise basic modeling flaws with all that weathering nonsense. Yeah. Well, and so, yeah. so what are your thoughts? What do you, what, how would you address those guys? <laughs> um, I remember we, had, we were having a discussion within our organization about, because one of the guys was also a member of another uh, club. And there was a discussion about what is a master model? Oh, who is a master modeler? What what makes a master model a master model? And the thing was that okay, if you um, if you have a, a model that is well, let's say virtually one hundred percent accurate, because you've you've you you've studied dozens of photos, bought all the books that there are to buy, you, you rated all the, the the photos from internet. And you you build that model exactly the same as it is in real life. Does that make you a master modeler? And honestly, I think it makes you a good researcher, and it makes mm-hmm. you a good scratch builder. But it doesn't make you a complete modeler because, in the sense of plastic modeling today, because I think the focus and in, in every competition you have the same the f- the focus. Now, in the, in the serious competitions, is on the total model, and that does include the finishing as well. And if you want to picture a model in a pristine condition, which is very well possible, because it might be an exposition model, whatever. But even an exposition model in a museum catches dust, at least. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I've I've I followed your podcast your your, your your last podcast as well about the the restrained weathering <laughs> thing, and then okay, <laughs> what weathering? Yeah, it makes it hard sometimes because some people do overdo it, and others uh, don't. But you know, it's I think the the weathering or the the total finishing of a model is what counts and not just the construction of it because like i said it makes you a good researcher and a good scratch mo- um, scratch builder if you can do one th- thing 100 percent accurate but um, i think f- to become a ma- oh, you know a complete modeler 
means you can do the whole thing more or less properly or up to standard competition standard if you want to enter competitions. I always say to the guys in a club, you know, if you don't want to if you if you want to do whatever you like and it would be on build on a kitchen table in a weekend and finish it in the next weekend, fine. You know, up to you. If you want to enter competitions, listen and look around you and accept criticism because you will get criticism once you get in out there in the open with your models and everybody has an opinion about them. But if you want to win, you have to comply with whatever is hip and happening at the moment. Like it or not, that's the way it is. Like like in figure painting, there's a lot of talk about NMM. I don't know if that rings a bell. Non-metallic uh, metals. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's already past its... Uh, <laughs> past its highlights for, uh, but uh everybody wanted to, everybody <laughs> wanted to paint nmm but it's just for the sake of it you know at some point hmm. and but and then uh because margo also judges uh, every now and then in competitions and and then you have this uh, a bust of a of a knight for instance with armor with real shining armor and then the another judge goes yeah but look at that it's a fantastic uh, nmm and then yeah but he's cross-eyed it's a bust <laughs> i mean what is more important yeah. in the face <laughs> than the eyes i mean the guy the, or the girl whatever didn't couldn't paint the eyes properly so mm. yeah but the nmm is fantastic i mean you have to be um you know it, it it's 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 difficult it's sometimes not easy and i and i and i can imagine that if you if you go through all the the, the length of you know finding all the details on a model like 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 chris would do or like david parker does in his models and uh and and which is not the case with david or you chris but if your finishing is crap then yeah what's the point you know you just throw a, a jar of olive drab over it and then all the work is all the good work is gone and you cannot judge it it's like what you said if you have a bear of a kit and you manage to make something great out of it that's fine but you have to know as a judge, if you just have to know it, and 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 that's what we always say. That and coming back to your question, I think, is that a, 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 a judge cannot know everything about every particular aircraft that's been done, or a particular tank mm-hmm. that's been done. So you have to focus on like a, a mutual thing that people can judge, and although taste is involved as well here, so again very subjective sometimes i think weathering and finishing of a, of a model is is comes into play more quickly than 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 if you have all the details on that particular sherman or or, or on a on an f16 uh, or whatever they call <laughs> i don't i don't know anything about aircraft anyway but okay uh you know you, you cannot have all the details correct i mean i, I once had I, I i overheard a conversation between judges at a modeling show about a, an aircraft and it was a fantastic fighter and it was really greatly done and then this other guy came and he says yeah but those the bombs underneath they never had these uh black markings on them they were, it was supposed to be yellow so I, I said, and you know that why? He said, I used to work in the U.S. Air Force, and that was my job, <laughs> loading them on. The tra- I said, yeah, but you you know that. But other than that, the finishing and the, the whole thing was great. I mean, the, you see, and that that's that's you know, you, you know, if I see a Sherman, I know it's a Sherman, but I don't know if all the details uh, on a Sherman on a particular uh, uh, mark uh, are the are the right ones, you know. I would be that particular modeler. I would be that modeler that would put completely wrong detail on the tank. 
yeah, I do my research, but sometimes I I goof up as well. So yeah. Well, unless it's a pet subject, you um you can only take the research so far. Otherwise, you you'd have to become an expert on everything you built. <laughs> it's just life's too short for that. If I read some comments, then some people are. <laughs> yeah. and some people actually sure. are and that's and that's great but i think you've you've highlighted a key point here that i've always believed and, I, and i'm pretty sure the ipms rules address this um, a lot of people have the perception that accuracy is part of of judging at model you know contests and it's pretty much not and it should not ever be for exactly the reasons you've talked about yeah, I, I think. I mean, if if the wheels are assembled crooked, or you know, if things are not really in order, I mean, the obvious mistakes. I agree. I totally agree. I mean, at least in in, in a masses category, uh, that's an epic fail. Uh, as a beginner, you know, uh, you know, you, you make mistakes and you grow into it. But uh, yeah, I think if you go over every little detail, eh, it's it's too much. It's too much to ask of any judge, anyway. So, especially especially mm-hmm. the judges that are asked to judge when they come in. I mean, we we, we invite our judges way uh, way before we have the show. Uh, so we we try to build a team uh, of of good of, of people and hope that you make a good choice because sometimes you don't, and most of the time you do. Well, going back to what you were saying about um, how people you know basic modeling skills hiding flaws though no model is going to get anywhere uh in in smc or um any other show i've judged really if it's if the basic modeling skills aren't there that that's not something you judge that's a given yeah you know that's that's the minimum basic starting line and then what you're judging is beyond that you're not judging you know yeah exactly yeah, yeah. i think someone's it, not going to put the wings uh, on backwards and put it in a competition it's a false argument when you look at the work of of the real masters, you know I don't think any of those guys are taking shortcuts no. or skipping the basic construction stuff. It's not like they're making this choice exactly. It's a Chris said it's a false choice, and it's a silly argument. Uh, the, I remember that Adam Wilder once told me something. Uh, he said he, he said uh, uh, it's not about uh, it's, it doesn't matter if you make mistakes. It's how is you should know how to correct them well that's a short version of it but anyway i think that was a very good one and he says i i, I screw up every now and then with, with with you know with praying or whatever and he says you just need to correct it over and over again and uh, until un- until you're happy mm-hmm. but yeah construction fail uh, failures are difficult to uh, to hide anyway yeah that's true well you have to judge what you can see yeah exactly mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have been at this thing for like an hour and a half, and I think this has been great. I, I as usual, Sorry. with no, no, don't apologize because because this is what happens with our interviews. We, you know, we look up and an hour has passed, or, or two hours, or whatever, and it's just because we're getting such rich content. And and this is this has been great. I, you know, I've been sort of. I'm a hyper competitive person and I would go to contests <laughs> if, 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 the, if there were any available, I would totally be there. And, and when I, you know, sort of look around at the landscape of contests, I think, man, if I was going to go to one and I could only go to one, it would be, it would be SMC. And so this for me has been a really cool uh, conversation. It's great to get in your head, you know, and see how, 
you've managed to build that thing to the level of excellence you had. And um, I think that this is going to be really compelling content for our listeners. And, and you know, so. maybe, <laughs> yeah, and look, I, you know, maybe it's idealistic, but I hope that some of the folks who are involved with IPMS are going to listen to this and maybe they'll take some ideas and some inspiration. Um, you know, cause there's I, I always I, something to be learned. I don't want to sound anti IPMS because I'm not, but you know, no. there are things to be improved, but that's, you know, probably we have stuff to improve as well that we can improve as well. So, you know, everybody has his issues, of course, but that's, but it's true. Yeah. It's not a zero sum thing though. No, but, uh, next year we'll have the world model expo, hopefully fingers crossed in the summer. So, um, which is not SMC, but you know, it'll probably have a, an SMC touch to it anyway organization wise and, and otherwise um so uh and that will be a perfect time to get to come over will <laughs> maybe so i've i've spent some I, I lived in belgium for for six months at one time right. in a previous okay. life and cool. i've been to eindhoven oh uh, really i'm sure yeah I, yeah well to go to a motorcycle race you know Valkens ward i'm sure yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah they have most like yeah that's true yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah so you know it's a thing but yeah i would love to come over chris and and tracy uh, have tried to talk to me about get, getting over there for this year's, uh, but it's just a bit much uh, for me right now. But I, you know, that's the I, I, that's the thing. If I could go to one, it would be yours. Well, you know, there are too many uncertainties at the moment, anyway. So I wouldn't gamble on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, because yeah, that's another thing. Huh? Uh, well, we 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 all hope that we can do it, but you know, you never know. COVID is a bitch. It's it's definitely changed the world. All definitely. right, well, Chris, you got you got any you got anything else to close us out? Not really. I'll just um just to listeners know, have a look at the show notes. We'll put links in there to Robert's site, to uh, SMC, and where you can go on and have a look at the judging criteria and everything else that we've talked about. Yeah, and uh, you'll find those in the show notes. And thank you, Robert. Hey, and if people have better ideas than we than we have, uh, we're we're always open to uh, to uh, positive. Uh, how do you say that? <laughs> to positive constructive feedback. Yeah. If somebody says everything is shit, then there's nothing I can do about that. But you know, if they have constructive comments, then everybody's welcome. Well, you're clearly doing a gold medal job, and I think this has been a gold medal interview. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Guys. Really, we really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. And uh, I love listening to the podcast as well because I'm working from home a couple of days a week, and uh, you know, one day I just. I just put it on, and while you guys are talking along, I do my job a bit, but, but mostly I'm listening. Yeah, so yeah. Well, thank you for that. We're yeah. you know we're young, we're much younger in our game than you are in yours, but we do appreciate it. Uh, well, I, I like the podcast. I think it's a good. Uh, I think that these this whole podcast um, thing is uh, it, it's becoming it's getting bigger, and I think it's uh, it's it, it's it's good. It's, well, it's, it's not something new, but maybe in the hobby, it's relatively new. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty good. I, uh, mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. Well, you definitely helped us step up our game. I mean, I, I, you know, I think n- nobody could disagree that you are a, a top shelf kind of guest. And again, we just appreciate you taking the time. Okay. Well, yeah, you're most welcome. Most welcome. Hey, Sprue Cutters, Chris here. Some of you may know that I run a small publishing company called Inside the Armour Publications. Truth be told, it's just me. I like to make scale modelling books that you'll keep on your shelf for years to come. 
the kind of books you'll refer back to time and again and cherish rather than just the ones you'll quickly look at and maybe sell on in a few years' time. The books we do cover aircraft, armour and other subjects as well and we like to get the best modellers I can find to make the most interesting models, not just painting and weathering but the full process explained as you like it with all the details of what we did and why we did it. I also sell a small number of other brands including Tetra Model and soon Yamashita Hobby 1700 scale ships. So if you're looking for the best books you can find or if you just want some PE or other stuff to tart up your builds, get along to InsideTheArmor.com and find out what we've got for sale. Alternatively, if you want our books but you're in another country, you might like to check out your local distributor or bookshop. Inside the Armour books are sold around the world in various shops and online stores. That's InsideTheArmor.com or look up Inside the Armour Publications on Facebook. I understand that Shep was uh, instrumental in the uh, creation of the open system. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He he, along with uh, uh, it was Dick Hurdies, and who was the other person, Jim? I don't know. Both of them passed long before Shep. I always yeah. have to look it up. I never. But met they they, of those they guys. published it in um, Campaigns Magazine back in the seventies. It's issue number forty four, um, and it's also I I think it's pretty much reproduced on the uh, the MMSI site, the Chicago uh, Club site. Uh, there have been some adjustments over the years, but uh, it, it, it's for the most part, it is it is intact from that original article they wrote about a new system of judging they wanted to enact. So how did that come about? Uh, what was Shep trying to achieve with that system? Shep disliked the IPMS idea of first, second, and third uh, for many reasons, some of them, uh, practical. I mean, if there's 40 Shermans at a show, you know, really are you, how you pick the first, second and third, um, you know, but also he hated the idea of artists competing with one another. You want to compete, take up tennis, which never fails to make me smile. Cause the idea of Shep in tennis shorts, if you've <laughs> ever seen a picture of him, uh, not going to happen. Um, he thought that artists should be judged not not the best Sherman at the show, but you know the the against uh, the the level to which all Shermans have risen, right? You should be judged with uh, against the level of the hobby, whether it's just finishing a model uh, or uh, setting it in a scene with scratch built figures. So there were two sides of the open system and Barry I'm going to rely on you to correct me here it's always a little hard to talk it through rather than than write it out uh you know there's there's um open and there's painters painters you are just finishing the model or figure open it may be a uh, uh, serious scratch building or a hundred percent scratch built and sculpted or it may be converted figures or uh, uh you know a tank that you have set in a scene or an aircraft or a ship and, um, you know, you are judged against uh, the, the level of how all of those things are executed, either in historical or ordinance or uh, figures. Um, and, uh, you know, a team of three judges goes around and looks just, at... Just to clarify something, when you say ordinance, I've had people ask me about this, but... Uh, so in the figure vehicles. world, vehicles. when you say ordinance, it's vehicles, basically. Yeah, anyway. yeah. tanks, ships, uh, Star Wars, uh, X-Wing fighters, uh, you know. Uh, so it's a fancy one. word for everything else. 
Yeah. yeah. Everything. Well, models. <laughs> models. Not figures. <laughs> everything. Well, everything that isn't, um, uh, you know, uh, everything that isn't a story, a diorama, or, or uh, yeah, 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 you know. I mean, because there are plenty of great modelers who just build the model, right? Right. Maybe 100% right. scratch built or maybe uh, right out of the box. Um, and there can be uh, artistry or craftsmanship in that or not. So, you know, the, the judging team with an assistant, there's always an assistant who's learning the system, goes around and they, you know, you've got six pieces out, six stock figures or six sculpted figures. Well, and, and, that, and that's an important point, too, because a, a, another advantage to the way this works out is a, a, an artist will have all of his pieces, like all of his open pieces that are conversions or scratch build or whatever in one place. So it's their display. Yeah. So they aren't spread out into all kinds of different categories. And the model do doesn't disappear into the judge's room <laughs> like some shows. You know, so the, the, the team goes out and they choose which piece stands out among all the stock figures or the uh, open uh, sculpted 100% uh, original figures. And they are, are choosing based on which is going to win the highest award. Right. So it's always in the modeler's favor. What is the standout piece based on our expertise of 40 or 50 years of being a master modeler, the judges? Uh, and then uh, they go and they score it individually. So they're not comparing their scores. Uh, and, you know, back in the judges' room when Barry and I run the MMSI show, we'll see the sheets come in, you know, three points for a silver and four points for a gold. And, uh, you know, sometimes the obvious pieces are four, four, and four. They're all gold. And the only time you have to question is when there's a four for a gold and uh, two fours for a gold and one is a bronze. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, what did, what did this modeler not see? And let's, uh, let's perhaps call him or her back and, and see what their thinking was. Um, but, you know, the discussion uh, that those judges have, uh, Barry and I have also been on teams in many other shows, World Expo or uh, MFCA in, in Philadelphia. It's always illuminating. You know, you're there with somebody like Bill Horan or Greg DeFranco, you know, and Greg DeFranco, master painter, just a genius, uh, one of those superhumans, one of the rare superhumans from America, will point out there's no shading on this red cloak, you know. Or uh, Haran, I, my favorite Haran comment of all time. You know, Barry and I, I think we're with Bill, and we're looking at uh, a beautifully sculpted original vignette, three or four figures uh, that didn't exist before this modeler made them from scratch, wire and putty. And, uh, wow, that's something. Yeah, 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 look at the hands, Bill says. I'm looking at the hands. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it, Bill. He says, look at the size of that finger. Look at the nose. Could that guy ever pick his nose? Hands are out of scale. <laughs> you know, the hands are out of scale. And we're looking at it and they're like, wow, wow, okay, that is a great artist's eye. You know, and obviously you have to train yourself to, to, to develop that. I mean, I, could, I, I was telling my wife the other day, she was asking about Shep. And, you know, I mean, Shep could take a napkin at breakfast and wipe the eggs he spilt off his shirt and sit down and take a pencil and draw something. And you're like, holy shit, you know what I, I mean, you know, if somebody, a mere human like me or Barry would have spent hours and it wouldn't have looked like that, and he, he, just, he just had the artist's, uh, you know, uh, 
that that thing. I mean, I've I've seen musicians who never play, you know, famously of the Rolling Stones, Brian Jones, never played a sitar. Hey, there's one in the corner. Painted black needs something. I'm going to play the sitar. Picked it up, played it, never played it again. You know, it was just there. He heard it. He could play anything. This reminds me of a conversation I had the other day. I was talking to someone about contemporary art, and, and you know how it is with contemporary art. Most people don't like it. They say, oh, it's just paint chucked to the canvas or it's some bricks on the floor and stuff. And I was trying to sort of say, well, you have to look a bit deeper and what have you. And their comment came back, so you have to have an art education to appreciate art. Well, yeah, actually, you kind of do. And you have to have experience, a lot of experience in modelling to really appreciate a lot of the details of models. It's like anything. You have to spend a lot of time with it to get to know it. And Judging is a great way to to acquire some of that as well by looking really well, closely yeah. at models. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, you know, one of the classes I've taught, uh, you know, I'm not at the newspaper anymore. I still do the radio show, and I still write pieces for the New Yorker about music journalism and criticism. But I teach at Columbia College Chicago, which is an art school, and I teach reviewing the arts, which is a writing class about how to write about your art form and how to do criticism. And uh, yes, you have to have some knowledge, uh, uh, Chris, but I also think that standing in front of a Pollock at the Museum of Modern Art, right, and not feeling anything, right, does this piece move you? I mean, first of all, you know, you see it on the screen and it's, it's just an image, right? But when you're seeing it in person and it's 30 by 25 feet, you know, uh, either it moves you emotionally or it doesn't. And there is no right and wrong in art. You know, there is only your emotional reaction and your intellectual read on a piece of art. This is how I define criticism for my students, right? And we have three tools to, to convey that emotional reaction and our intellectual reading. We have context. What, what is, where does this come from, right? If you've never seen a Sherman before, you're a little lacking in context to go judge one at the IPMS, much less 40 of them. Uh, context and, and evidence. What are you drawing on? What are you citing to say this is a great painting, this is a great figure? And, um, uh, you know, finally, insight. What do you bring to it? Right. Again, if you have never judged a fantasy piece, then perhaps you shouldn't be saying this is a gold medal orc. You've never seen an orc. <laughs> uh, but but but, you know, we each bring if all of us, the five of us on this chat went down to the Art Institute of Chicago and stood in front of Nighthawks. Right. Barry Biedeker's secret here is he is he is the uh, Edward Hopper of box dioramas, right? <laughs> it's all about Edward Hopper for Barry. If we all stood in front of Nighthawks, image we've seen a million times, the, the, the people at the diner, we would, because we are five different individuals, see five different paintings, right? You know, somebody may say, the historically minded among us, which is all of us, would say, you know, 1945, why is it so dark on the street? You know, we were still in fear on the east and west coasts of this country of the Japanese or, or German bombers coming, right? Uh, the the uh, Marxist among us may say, you've got four people in a diner uh, and nobody's eating. Isn't that curious, right? These <laughs> the beat down working class people can only afford a cup of coffee. The feminist would say, you know, the woman's in red. What does that signify? And in one way or another, <laughs> each of those three figures, uh, the men, are looking at that woman, right? The male gaze. Um, you know, the architect would say, what an odd building, you know? And Edward Hopper had a famous joke. He would, whenever somebody would ask about this weird building, he'd say, oh, fuck, I forgot a door again. 
You know, there's no door. There's no door in the diner, right? The strictly visual artist would say, this color palette is like three colors, right? It's amazing. One of the most famous paintings in American history is, is, is got like three crummy colors in it, right? As many of us as there are, that's how many ways to judge any piece of art. So the team idea in the open system is having those three judges. You're going to get, you know, because they all take it seriously. I think, you know, in the hostility suite, when people grumble, I got a mere silver, right? Um, you know, and they wanted their gold. Um, you know, you don't understand that those guys gave up their dinner. They gave up their time drinking and hanging out. They've traveled across the country, and they are spending three or four hours judging their assigned uh, row in the uh, show, and uh, and they take it seriously. They t- they're they very diligent. And, and actually, the more accomplished modelers take it more seriously. I've s- seen Greg DeFranco, who has more golds than, than, than you can count uh, over his years, you know, spent five or six hours on judging the 30 pieces he was assigned to look at, you know, or 30 exhibits. And, and um, you know, judges take it seriously, and they bring a lot to it, and you may disagree. They may be right. They may be wrong. There is no wrong or right in art. It's just our reactions to it. There are certainly, there are certainly some wrong and right, though. I mean, you mentioned uh, Bill Horan's uh, comment about would that finger fit in that nose? Anatomy is something that can either be right or wrong. Well, this is, this is true, but let's say that that piece was telling such a powerful story that I've never seen done in miniature before. I may say, yeah, the anatomy's a little off, the shading isn't perfect, but damn... That piece was, you know, I'm giving it a gold because I've just never seen that before. And, and that is a great story. It's well executed. We could nitpick, you know, what Shep always said is the IPMS mentality. Because you have to give a first, a second, and a third. Whereas under the open system, you give as many golds as the judges say there are golds. You give as many silvers as they say there are silvers. Um, you know, the IPMS kind of mentality leads to nitpicking. You know, I got six goddamn good Shermans in front of me, and then there's the other 20. Uh, But these six, how do I decide who's first, second, and third? And oh, my God, and you're wearing the T-shirt, brother. You know, this one has six (laughs) rivets missing. <laughs> that grab handle was that grab handle is 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 a one thirty second of an inch thicker than it should be. Or, or really, really more, what it would come down to um, is which one of these have any visible seam lines on the the gun barrel? Yeah. Or are are the road or the wheels straight? Yeah, that's what it would come so, down uh, to. That's not the real problem with the the IPMS system, though. The problem is it doesn't actually tell the modeler anything. Yeah, it could be, true. and I've I've judged at IPMS shows where I didn't think any of them deserved a gold or even a silver. Mm. Uh, but someone had to get gold, someone had to get silver, and someone had to get bronze. And then I've judged other categories where there were five golds on the table. Yeah. So all you really find out is on that day who had the best in inverted commas model on the table. It doesn't tell the modeler anything other than their model was a bit better or a bit worse than that other model. Yeah. Which in that group, in that group that could be somewhat arbitrary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for their personal growth, what's the point? Right. And, 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 and how do you decide in the age of the Tamiya Mark I Spitfire, for example, where you just about cannot fuck that thing up? I mean, it, 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 the people who say it builds itself are not wrong. It's practically impossible if, unless you just don't fill the seams or you do something that's just objectively really bad. 
And guys who are at that level are not going to make those sort of mistakes. So that's what baffles me. How do you even begin to separate those? I would actually love to see uh, a group of Tamiya Spitfires judged at an IPMS show because that is a judge's nightmare. It yep. really is. I could fuck it, it up. I could, I could put the paint on the airbrush wrong. I really, <laughs> you you could paint the crowbar red. Yeah. Lol. <laughs> but this, this is why Barry and I love dioramas, because I think that storytelling idea, Shep always said that a diorama is like a movie, uh, but it's not moving. You know, it's like a great, you know, and somebody had said of Stanley Kubrick's films that because he started as a photographer, that every single individual frame of any Kubrick film that you could name could stand on its own as a brilliant still photograph. You know, they're just so beautifully shot and composed and and you know I, I mean yeah we can do a spitfire right but uh and, and it'd be a beautifully rendered rendered model but you know to have uh, a figure or even to have you know shep did some uh, aircraft dioramas that had no figure the lady be good forlorn in the desert after it crashed you know um uh you know to tell a story to show us uh, a piece of history um, that we haven't seen before. And I think that's that's the great challenge and our love for the hobby anyway, right, Barry? Yeah, yeah, and you can even tell a story without figures, though, like you said. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, and uh, with the weathering techniques and the painting techniques, those there's a lot of storytelling that can happen in there. Well, I want to get you guys uh, to talk a little bit about composition. That's something that was just brought up, and I think box dioramas lend themselves to... Uh, that being uh, a pretty prime uh, consideration with uh, the construction layout and everything like that. I feel like uh, it'd be interesting to, to talk about how that translates to an, a diorama outside of a box and sort of some elements mm -hmm. of composition that people may not know about and, and how they could probably improve their composition both inside a box diorama and outside of a, a box diorama. You know, a lot of the a lot of the issues with comp, uh, composition I see are just basic artistic principles. Um, as, as far as balance, or uh, another rule that I, I see broken all the time, and I don't mean that it should be a, a absolute rule, but when people will put something parallel to the edges of the base, and <clears throat> that is, there's a reason why that's a so-called rule. It it is, it's an important part of composition to not uh, have all these parallel lines that just make everything look, I don't know, boring. Really, like like a parking lot. Right, but the important thing is the, there are these rules of composition. Never feel like they can't be broken, but you have to know why you're breaking them and the effect Absolutely. That it, that's, that it's having when you are breaking them. That's the important thing. Never take a rule as a law that you just will absolutely never go against. Yeah, it's Barry and same. I, as, as punk rockers, occasionally have set out to do pieces that absolutely break the rules. Let's just see if we can do it. <laughs> but, but I would say the bigger mistake, uh, to enhance what Barry was saying, the bigger mistake is we're, we're eager to open the box and we're eager to start uh, filing seam lines and, and putting on the glue, right? Uh, and, and, you know, the secret of a diorama is to sit there and plan. And, you know, take 
a piece of cardboard, take, uh, you know, a, a piece of styrofoam, uh, begin to play like we used to when we were five with those little green toy soldiers, right? And you have to really begin to get a sense of what the story you want to tell is and how much space does it need. Does it need a huge base? Maybe not, right? Unless you're trying to show the vastness of the North African desert. Okay, then fine. Um, you know, and you have to think from the very beginning uh, what this is going to look like when it's finished. Because every step of the way, uh, you can go wrong otherwise. <laughs> you, know, you don't just finish the model and then say, okay, now I'm going to put it in a diorama. Uh, you have to integrate everything from the beginning. Right, right, Barry? I mean, everything. Yeah, the, yeah. the painting, the figures, the, the layout, uh, or the lack of figures, everything's got to be kind of, uh, you have to think about it from day one. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think the just understanding basic principles of, like I said, balance, the rule of thirds, etc., basic art school composition, uh, what you should take from that is the effect it has on your piece. Don't ever think that the only way I can make a diorama is with a pyramid shape. That's the only compositional, you know, that's the only way you can compose a scene that has the most effect. That's not the way to look at it. I love that you brought up the rule of thirds because as a photographer, that's a thing. But it's obviously been around for a lot longer than photography has even. And, and, you know, people who get cranky about those rules just have to understand that, like you said, they're there for a reason. Our brains work in a certain way. I mean, I'm totally ignorant about art, but I understand the PowerPoints on a grid of a photograph frame and things work because they work. The golden spiral is a thing because Mm -hmm. of the way our brains work. There's a certain amount of programming in there, and that's and that's why those things are there. Sure, Understanding yeah. why those rules are rules is the first step in, in understanding composition. But also, it's if you're going to to break those rules or bend those rules, then you still are playing within the boundaries of the rules in some way or another. Uh, you have to know, you know, you're creating tension by moving your armored vehicle almost off of the base, just almost, you know, you, you can't, you can't break the rules without knowing the rules. You know, that's one of the things that, uh, I remember in art school, somebody, uh, was ridiculing Picasso's work. And then my professor showed him Picasso's early work and said, he knew the rules. He learned how to walk before he ran. Uh, and I think that applies to just about everything. Um, I think a lot of people kind of, well, I think actually a lot of people don't plan out their dioramas. I think they build a tank and then they, they see how they can arrange things around it in what is generally a pretty contrived way. But also I think people that, I think people have trouble understanding how the elements of your diorama, your vehicle, your figures, the way it's positioned, everything, uh, the terrain can lead the eye and and kind of what circular composition is so that the eye is continually moving around the piece. Right. Yeah. You're not sending people off the edge of the base right. all the time. Yeah. yeah. You know, but again, again, any rules made to be broken, right? You, you were saying... Uh, 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 
if we had a kindergarten class of 15 five-year-olds, right, there's one fucker in that class who's just drawn <laughs> an elephant that's got 16 eyes and, and whatever. And you're just like, you're like, holy shit, that's amazing, right? The others are, you know, sometimes you, you, can, you, can, you can throw all that stuff out the window and just intuitively, instinctually uh, create something that moves somebody, either emotionally or intellectually. So it's all, it's all a balancing act. And the main thing, you made this point when you were talking to Robert Crumbeek, is, is to have fun. Have fun with it, right? If your thing is just build out of the box, that's right. Great, you know, wonderful, good for you. If your thing is to, uh, 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 you know, have these intense fantasy figures of like, what the hell? We, we just lost a modeler, uh, Fletcher Clement, uh, really incredibly talented, uh, uh, gentlemanly Southerner from Arkansas, who uh, his pieces were, Fletcher had been a Green Beret in Nam. Uh, you would never know that. Um, uh, and, I mean, he had taken acid somewhere along the way, and his, his, his color palette was uniquely his own and his composition and his anatomy. But what he did with these fanciful uh, figures uh, uh, of, of artists, whether it was Jackson Pollock or Jack Kerouac or just completely imagined scenes, uh, it, nobody had ever seen them, and it was impossible. You might not like them, but it was impossible not to be moved by them to love them or hate them, and that's, that's our favorite kind of artist. I should mention we, we did a tribute to Fletcher uh, since he just died. As the, uh, I'm the editor of the, Scab- the Scabbard, which is the uh, quarterly journal of the Military Ministry Society of Illinois. When we did the World Expo in 2017, we opened up the Scabbard as a free subscription to anybody who just wants to join. So go to the Military Miniature Society of Illinois website, and you can email me through there, and I will add you to the journal if you're interested in seeing these things, what, what's happening at figure shows, uh, you know, and what's happening in the figure world. Because, uh, uh, again, it's all about just spreading the net far and wide. Armour modelers think if you put a tank on a base, it's a diorama. So maybe we could talk about what actually, <laughs> what actually is a diorama, and what's a vignette, and what's a you know, right? Looking at a map and pointing. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the I don't think a show goes by that we don't have to uh, deal with something like that, right, Jim? We're... Yeah, yeah. The stock uh, Brit uh, drinking a cup of tea besides his Bren gun carrier. <laughs> the Bren gun carrier, you know on a little bit of desert on a base with a guy with a cup of tea that came straight out of a box is not necessarily a diorama. The Bren gun carrier that they dropped on, on, on Arnhem as part of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Operation Whatberry. I'm having a brain fart. Market Garden. Uh, Market Garden, right? That crashed through a house that disturbed the, the Dutch couple sitting there drinking their tea. That's a diorama. Is there a story? You know, under the strict rules of, of, of the modeling show, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, if it's just a stock kit and a stock figure, you can op- enter it in historical open. You may do better in historical painter, which is just judging the finishing of that model. Uh, open is judging the diorama. Are you telling a story? And but what, what we'll always do, <clears throat> we'll always, always, 
do the best thing for the modeler. And if we can't contact them and say, and say, hey, you really want this in here, we will put it in the category where they will get the highest medal. We fit, think they they will. There's no it, there's no disqualification no. for things if it, like if that. If it's a bronze under open because nobody's done any original work, no no uh, enhancing of the model and no sculpting of the figure or even conversion. If it's a bronze in 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 open, but a gold uh, on the stock finishing in painting, we'll give them the gold, but under painters. My experience of judging and seeing judging at IPMS shows. So that's limited to UK IPMS shows. And um, increasingly, I think I'm finding that US, UK, all the other IPMS are actually, they're not a, a, a monolith organization. They're all a bit different in their own ways. But that it is, if your model doesn't fit the category, you'll either get nothing or you'll get disqualified. And my experience mm. at Euromilitaire or Scale Model Challenge, if your model doesn't fit the category, it will be moved to the category where it does fit so that you've got a better chance of getting something. And that is, yeah, it makes a big difference for sure. Well, if, if all of us judges have a hard time keeping it all straight, how do you expect somebody who's coming to their first show and has taken the trouble and the time and is eager to show their work? And, and you know, it's easy to screw up. I mean, give, give the modeler the benefit of the doubt. Well, getting back to the competition, though, the, the rules can, can complicate matters even more because in the U, UK IPMS, um, any armor model with a figure on the base put into an armor category the figure won't be judged it'll be ignored uh if you but you could put it into a diorama category because it's got a figure mm-hmm. so if there's a figure on the ground it's a diorama that's not a diorama no, <laughs> that's a guy no, stood no. next to a tank yeah guy guy by the tank on the base yeah you know i mean uh, the way so can you i mean can you give us a definition of what is a diorama and what's the difference between that and a vignette maybe I don't think there's a difference between vignettes and, and dioramas, do you, Barry? No, I think that's a that's a uh, the only place I've seen that differentiated is in IPMS and in the U.S. It's I believe, and I think it's still the same. If you have five or more figures, it's a diorama. Less than that, it's a vignette, which makes no sense to me. Uh, but it's I think it is again all about the story. So the key uh, element is it has to have a story. That's the yes the first and primary factor, and everything else comes after that. Yes. Yeah, and the modeler has some intention here. Um, you know, we try to explain to everybody who shows at the figure shows, if you just want your vehicle judged on the quality of its finishing, uh, the judges are not going to look at the groundwork, right? Uh, aside from if it detracts, if you've got purple grass, you know. <laughs> not even, not brown grass, not green grass. Okay, um, you know, you're instructed to, with stock uh, figures and with ordnance models, just judge the quality of the painting and the finishing of the model. Um, you know, whereas in open, you're, you're asking us to look at everything, the storytelling first and foremost, but the quality of the figure, the quality of the model, uh, the story that's being told, the weather, everything, everything put together. Jim and Barry, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's our first attempt at a roundtable, and I think it was a great success. Uh, although I think we have just really touched the tip of the iceberg with a lot of these conversations. I think everybody should, if they haven't, run off and listen to the, the episodes of Small Subjects that are out right now. There's three. Uh, when do you guys drop your next episode? Uh, uh, the 12th of August is the next episode. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs>
<laughs> Barry. Yeah. We talk with Penny Meyer. Well, and, and it's, oh, Penny, you fantastic. Guys, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for having us uh, because we don't look at it as uh, any of these podcasts being in competition. No. Again, it should be one big happy world of modeling. And then beyond that, toy soldier collectors and militaria collectors. And, you know, uh, we, we talk a lot about, I don't know if it's as true on the plastic end, how do we get young people to turn off the damn video game and, you know, try something with their hands, right? And I think it's, a, it's an attitude of inclusivity. You know, which even the snarky savage baiting on, on, on you know, the, the Facebook group. I mean, you guys ultimately are interested in bringing people in. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah. that's we, what I think yeah. every, everybody's goal should Yeah, be. there's a method to the madness or a madness to the method, whatever you want to say. We're, we're trying to get people engaged. You know, that's why we, yeah. you know, that's why we do everything we do in there. It's, it's, it's about getting people actively thinking and talking about what we're all there for. Yeah, shared, shared passion. Honestly, I yeah. think young people are really into the, the deeper end. I think people do them a disservice when they say, oh, it's too advanced for them. You know, don't underestimate these kids. They're smart kids. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And they're sure. driven. I mean, they you, we see work from younger modelers that, you know, it seems to have taken them no time at all to get there. Uh, because they that's, put me to yeah. shame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I mean, the, that's their goal now. <laughs> the, the standard for them is is what is being shown on the internet, which is some of the, the greatest modeling you see. So if that's what you set as your goal and you're working hard towards it, you, you do make some big strides and, and the information is out there and people are willing to share it. So, you know, I, I think young people have a, a leg up. I think technology and the internet has been a real boon to the hobby. Um, and I, I think most people just want other modelers to succeed. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So again, uh, this your next episode will have dropped already by the time we drop ours on Saturday. Uh, we wish everybody good luck at the IPMS Nats if they're going there. Uh, everybody stay safe, and we are going to have this out on Saturday. And unless anybody else has anything to say, let's say good night, Gracie. Just a couple of things. Uh, you can find small subjects on all the usual podcast apps. Guys, have you got a website as well? Uh, we do. We actually have a, a blog uh, yeah. on boxdioramas.com that, that follows the each episode will have its own so um, anyone that blog post. Goes to Images look at that, and the, you should all look yeah. at that. We'll find the uh, we'll find yeah. the podcast as well. Fantastic. Yeah. And we'll link to that on each podcast too. Do you have a Facebook page? Uh, we do have a Facebook page. Just look for small subjects. All right. Brilliant. Our next show will feature uh, the madman Fanch Lubin, uh, which will be out in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Tracy. Over to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, as Chris said, Fanch Lubin will be our next one in a couple of weeks. And in the meantime, Gabby Gabba, hey! Hey! <laughs>